Okay, cool. So now we're live. So Barry, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> hello, hello. So I think we're just going to jump straight into this because, you know, just a quick one. Me and Barry hadn't spoken for a very long time, uh, many years. And, you know, we used to live together many, many moons ago. And we had a conversation as a catch-up, which actually turned into a uh, very sort of uh, existential um I guess just a chat about spirituality and life and growth and stuff like that. And um, my thing was like, oh, you know, this would really, this really fits the format of a podcast I do. And I think we should record it because um, probably I think a lot of people would find this interesting. It's just an interesting conversation. I think it'd be a nice thing to share. So we decided to do it again and record it. So here we are today uh, recording it. (laughs) Great. So, it's actually- you know, there's a bunch of topics that I've sort of got, but I mean, maybe you've got an idea where you want to start with this. But one of the main things that I took away from <laughs> our conversation last time was this metaphor of this boat leaving the harbour. That was mm. like, uh, <laughs> that was something that stuck with me in my mind. And I've kind of been sort of thinking about it on and off since. And it, you know, and as, I'm actually glad that we waited to do this because uh, that's come up more and more. This uh, this oh. metaphor, yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe for I the should people, be, huh? maybe I should be interviewing you then. You know, maybe, man. Yeah. <laughs> but um, do you want to just jump into that? Actually, maybe let's start there and just see where it goes. This kind of uh, can you tell everyone about this? How that came about? Yeah. So um, there's this whole metaphor which is about I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me and uh i actually looked up this morning where did that come from who said it first you know yeah. um actually it's attributed to einstein some other guy but you know they probably got it from someone before you know the source of all these things is always interesting but yeah. the, the essential spirit of it is that you know boats aren't meant to stay in harbor they're not, that's not what boats are for you know mm. and you can take that almost you can take that on so many levels you know you could take that for your life your your inner life your outer life society you know the universe you could take it on every single level and uh you know that's that that's the that's a core concept i mean the mm. i think just remembering what we how we started off on that i think because <laughs> i think you're right we, we could have this conversation in about a year's time from now and it'd be different yeah. And uh, we, when we had the conversation originally, maybe even the context of it then was different, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you always want to wait. You think, oh, but I want this to be perfect. I want this to, yeah. I want to have all the answers and mm. then we'll talk about it. But actually, yeah. I feel authenticity behind this conversation is actually more when you say, well, I don't have it all worked out, you know. Definitely. Uh, and so the, the context of it then and it'd be interesting to see where it's changed. I'm really keen to hear and understand <laughs> from your perspective, why did it, why is it, it must have planted a seed or resonated with you in some way. I'm, I'm keen yeah. to go there too. But yeah. from my perspective, I think what if you can tell me if you felt differently at the time, but when we spoke about this, the context was you, me, society, and conforming to a narrative. You know, you get brought up, you're, well, you're born into a culture which has 
a story and a kind of ideology hidden amongst mm. it all that um, you grow up and you become very um, conditioned by it, you know, extremely mm. conditioned by it. All the way mm. through from nursery rhymes, the films, the comics, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Disney, <laughs> you name it, the whole thing. It, um, the, the message you get from your parents and other people that are influential around you, and you could say everything is influential around you, mm. it, it creates a certain code that you, you don't question because, you know, you're a little baby or a little kid and you just eventually at some point you start questioning it. And um, mm. you know, a lot of uh, – so that the, the harbour – is actually that place where back then when we spoke about the context of the harbour was that, you know, like you, you know, like you could, you know, that we're all, you, when you're thinking about what you want to do when you grow up, right? Mm. <laughs> that mythical growing up thing, right? Mm. Uh, uh, it's the messaging then is get a good job, get a safe, secure job, be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, that kind of crap, you know? Mm. And, and maybe, uh, you, you follow a certain path because that's the harbor that's a safe place that's the that's the that's the the, the tribal belonging all your maybe some of your primal urges are satisfied in some way by conforming to that but mm. i think at some point and it's the same with the arc of your story and mine too now maybe it's an age thing um or i don't think it's even an age thing i think it's more than that but at some point i think everybody has this little narrative that goes, wait a minute, what really lit my fire was X, or I'm more, you know, maybe, maybe the thing I bought into then is no longer satisfying, or mm. I, 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 I've, I've got an urge that I, 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 I somehow know I'm not going to satisfy by living the vanilla life. I want someone else, you know, and yeah. uh, your, your narrative is like that, mine is. And so the, the narrative of the boat, that's, that's being in the harbor. And it takes a lot of bravery to say, I'm going to unhitch from the shore and I'm going to sail out at sea. And uh, there's a lot of fear associated with that. And I guess the idea being that as you further away from the harbour you get, now and again, you look back, you know, and you mm. see the harbour and you go, but damn it, everybody else is still there. I don't see many boats out here. I'm alone. Uh, and you feel from time to time quite scared and insecure and you mm. think, you know, all I want to do is go back to the harbour. But actually, <laughs> I almost feel like I've got no choice in this. And uh, I have to just persevere with this. And uh, But now and again, you have that, oh, life gets a bit difficult and the sea chops up. And, you know, and you're still lonely and you haven't seen any other boats yet. And you go, hell with this. I'm going to go back to the harbour. It sounds like they're having a party there. You know, I can smell fish yeah. and chips, you know. <laughs> so there's, there's a draw back to that. But I think there's yeah. also a draw out to sea, you know, and yeah. I think it's uh, that was the context about our yeah. original discussion, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that I think it's a really good uh, image, you know, <laughs> because I, I've kind of gone into sort of different layers of this thinking about that image, and I I recently went to a a talk from this. Um, his name's Ian Baker and he's a scholar on Tibetan Buddhism and he kind of talks a lot about Tibetan Buddhism and Tantric Buddhism, which I'm sort of quite into really. And he was sort of saying that the practices that he has and he teaches are really about breaking down boundaries. And I, and I thought about that with this analogy of the boat, you know, because for me, the harbour could be what your boundaries are or what your kind of... Um, 
uh, you sort of de- described it as societal or cultural and stuff like that. And I think these spiritual practices of breath work and movement and meditation are are designed to sort of break down what your idea is of yourself. Yeah, but to I mean, kind it's of do that, you have to kind of you have to kind of go away from what you know. And I think what you know is the harbor, and what you don't know is the mm. sea you know that's the kind yeah. of the ocean you're going into uncharted territory you're kind of moving away from that's great what you think and- of as familiar and safe and and i think that i really like this analogy of the boat because i thought about that with my own practices and my own it's quite scary to kind of break down your ego and sort of question who you are or maybe how you were brought up and um maybe some things that make you feel secure because they're kind of things you identify with or you always you always have identified with but maybe at some point they stop serving you and you start to question it but then when you question that potentially you're kind of breaking down who you are and questioning who you are and that's the kind of I think that's this path and I and I think that the boat leaving the harbour to be honest is one of the best uh <laughs> the oh, best great. metaphors I've had for that yeah because the ocean this unknown place is kind of this potentially scary unknown place where you could be very alone <laughs> for some mm. for quite a long period of time before you kind of maybe the sea kind of calms down and you feel like you have some stability so i kind of went to that place with it and yeah i've yeah i've been feeling that a lot lately is um that urge to be alone and there's like an there's a an urge that i have sometimes is to potentially go into some sort of retreat or go into a space where I'm alone because I think at some level potentially that is one of my deepest fears is to kind of be be completely alone yeah really alone and not like uh not having a support network or not having a place where you feel you have um some comfort that's that's interesting huh I mean uh we could get right into that you know (laughs) um but just to say that that what you just described is uh, what I've been. Uh, my concept of this boat and harbor has evolved since we last spoke about it. And actually, mm. it's interesting that you, what you talk about there in terms of like an inner journey about the boat mm. and the harbor and your body and yoga. I've been uh, revisiting that myself deeply, really mm. deeply, and uh, I think even in that context, as a boat and a harbor and a sea. Uh, and I, I, I've revisited some old books, and it's funny, you know, you've ever read a book, and then you go back to it years later, and you think, did I even read this? This is exactly yeah. what I've been wanting to read, and I didn't <laughs> even notice it at the time. But, but that whole thing about being alone, it's interesting, because that's almost back to, you know, what you described as like almost like a character armor, your ego, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess uh, it's hard to... I'm always looking for a system or a set of rules that I can sort of follow that help me make decisions or be guided. Mm. But I guess the problem with a lot of that is it's your ego making the rules, right? And uh, those yeah. it, the, the, those rules have been like, uh, you're just making up rules based on Star Wars and Harry Potter and Disney and all the stuff that you grew up with. And it's, it's uh, breaking free of that. And uh, I've actually found the journey into the body actually the most... Uh, you know, you're a yoga, you're you're into all that and feeling mm. the energy of that. And actually, I've really had uh, deep experiences of that in, in the past while, you know, and mm. uh, 
just like you. So maybe the alone bit is uh, it's maybe the opposite. Maybe you don't can want you to be share, alone. Can you share about these experiences you've had with yoga? Yeah, I've got this. Um, actually, uh, in on um on the floor here, I have a bunch of books which I thought you know my short term memory is not what it was, but <laughs> that I've got, I almost uh, I have a background in uh, I have a PhD in uh, science, one of my qualifications, and uh, for some reason I treated treated my self-development like a PhD project, a research project, you know, and I went for, I, I read one book and that opened the door to another and I just been on this journey and I've got a bunch of the books here. And uh, interestingly, I, I laid them out randomly or so I thought, but they seem to be in some <laughs> chronological order anyway. Yeah. But, but just interestingly, I have this um, mug here. Up that I, uh, One thing I do is I do these extreme triathlons and I do these um, endurance races. I've done them for like 10 years now around yeah. the world and um i did a race in the place called arctic circle um lofoten islands in norway actually not far yeah. from you but you know not further up yeah. You know? yeah beautiful place you know yeah. and uh i'll show you it actually let me get it so yeah. i got this mug when i did the race at the end that's the arctic triple there right but yeah. on the other side there's this phrase and it's uh the guy who was the the guy who was the guest speaker and he's he's this guy's famous his name's joe Friel, and he's uh yeah. he's a founder of training peaks and this is a software that people pros everybody it's ubiquitous now for measuring your fitness and all the other stuff right this guy's like a big cheese and, yeah like that but way deeper you know daily programming okay. of stuff mm. and all it's used by all the pros and cycling teams and stuff but anyway yeah. uh he was there and i met him and uh but on the back of this mug here's the thing right the bigger limiter is not the body it's the mind Right? Yeah, I've heard that a lot in my now, circles. Yeah. yeah, and I think that therein is the wrong turn straight away, right? <laughs> and I think it's uh, dualistic thinking. So mm. uh, every time I drink coffee from this, and that's pretty much every day, mm. I ask myself the question, is this true, right? Mm. And I disagree with myself depending on which day it is, right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> is it the body? Is it the mind? But I think I now have a much better answer to it. Uh, I know from my journey and uh i think it's actually that um how we characterize the mind and the body is wrong um i say mm. we i'm making a big generalization here but we've been our society the way i've been brought up is to think that i am my brain <laughs> right my mm. mind is my brain right mm. and i would go as far as saying uh as long as you hold that view you're really imprisoned by it right and mm. the revelation for me was more recently actually this is a this is a continuum it's never like one minute i think this next minute i think that it's oh, yeah. it's usually a continuum but um i'm actually starting to, and actually yoga has been a a method into this and actually mm. the problem is i think I, like i described all my books for me it was an intellectual process because i thought it was an intellectual solution and actually, mm. I don't think it is. It's such a limited part of it. Uh, mm. And that's caught in the trap. So uh, the I'm sure, you know, I've read a lot of Buddhism and all the other facets. I have to say I'm, an, I, I'm relatively atheist, you know. Um, mm. I don't believe in all that religion stuff. But um, necessarily, I have an open mind. But at the mm. same time, I'm close-minded to that, right? <laughs> um, because I just think it's a human thing. And, you know, but uh, that's another story. But the... All these books, I tried to solve what I thought was my problem using a mental process. 
Uh, and I, I, I wasn't in touch with my body, my feelings, um, uh, all the sensations. And so I think my what I've learned is that it's not, firstly, that my mind is not just my brain. That's a good step, right? Uh, and then I could take it to the next step and go, well, my mind is actually like a combination of my brain, my gut, my heart, my entire um, mm. system, all the different all hormones, all the chemistry in my body, all the electricity in my body, all of that is my my mind, actually. Uh, mm. You know, we if we evolved, I probably believe that's true, then our first brain is quite often thought of as being the gut, right? Mm. And yeah. then as we evolved, different systems evolved, you know. And so actually gut feel, which is something that Western science tells you to try and avoid subjectivity because you know we are mm. we want to be more objective um actually it's subjectivity that is maybe the way out and uh or the yeah. way through this and so yeah. um actually the the this whole thing about the body and the mind and is it one or the other i think my mind is actually some total of my body and then you could say well that's my entire experience of consciousness that's my mm. mind right yeah and then you can get into going, well, it's just not my body. Where does my body end? Where does the end of that, you know, is my body my jumper here? Oh. So that was, that was, uh, and, and so my experiences of um, getting into feelings uh, rather than just mental process was actually a big thing. And when I looked into it, I realized that I actually had very little connection with my body at all, my feelings. I saw it as an accessory, something to dominate. Uh, you know, doing all these races and training hard. It's like, rather than let my body be a friend, I was actually trying to enslave it. And uh, yeah. so, you know, um, actually, uh, one thing that helped me a lot was I spent, I'm actually still doing it. I spent uh, the last 11 months going to someone who's uh, like a osteopath, massage mm. person who really understands a lot of this. And I've been getting lots of deep massage to get rid of all the stiffness in my body, in my mm. hips and my pelvis and my neck, just mm. from years of damage, but also probably trauma. And mm. uh, it's funny that the process of freeing that up goes hand in hand with the freedom or the, the sense of connectedness to more feelings, right? So mm. to answer the question, I don't think the limiter is the body or the mind. I think it's your view of what the mind and the body is. Yeah. Yeah, I totally relate to that, you know, because like you, my background was sports and competitive sports and totally right. used my body as like a tool, you know, it was yeah. like, it was, uh, um, I was manipulating it to do what I wanted and it was kind of, the goal was to achieve something, not to build a healthy relationship with myself and my body. It was like a, mm. a usage, you know, but I think that's the difference between, you know, because a lot of people ask me this. And I remember asking my first Ashtanga yoga teacher in, I was like, what's the difference between us practicing yoga and like going for a swim or, you know, and he was kind of, I had lots of questions for him like this, you know, I was like, why, you know, why this, why not that? And he was trying to explain it to me back then when I couldn't really understand the difference really. And, um, you know, there's a big difference between using your body as a tool to achieve something as opposed to listening to the feedback it gives you and making choices in a healthy way that <laughs> creates more of a better relationship with your body, which is actually creating a better relationship with yourself. I think it's like a practice of how you treat yourself potentially is how you treat everything. So it's interesting. I agree. That. 
Yeah. I think, remember, you know, I think something we said before was, we talked originally, where does a lot of this come from? And, you know, and if you've been brought up in the West, I hate calling it West and East, actually, because that's, mm. again, segmentation doesn't help us as a society. But you know what I mean. It's a relative mm. term. And uh, if you were brought up in a UK like we were, largely, then you're brought up in a culture which is largely Judeo-Christian dominated. And that means that the body is sinful, sins of the flesh, whether you believe any of that stuff or not, it's kind of penetrates a lot of our culture and yeah. the spirit, whatever that is, is somehow this holy thing and the body is this sinful thing that rots, but the spirit yeah. is pure. And that stuff yeah. just gets deep into your DNA, I think. And so you start to see your body as this horrible thing. And uh, yeah, that, that I think that's a lot of the roots of this uh, from our society's perspective. It's interesting what you said yeah. about that question about... Um, you know, um, you're asking your yoga teacher all those questions. Uh, I've just been finishing, I'm rereading a book at the moment. I don't know if you've read it, Yoga on the Quest for the True Self, Stephen Cope. I think I mentioned yeah. this to you before. Yeah. It's actually, I'm reading it again. And it's, <laughs> for some strange reason, I'm like, I've read this book about four times. And <laughs> this time I'm reading it going, this is everything I'm thinking about in black and white. Why did I not yeah. spot any of this? <laughs> and, and what he talks about, his take on yoga is that the way to do yoga properly is it's not about the moves. It's the awareness of the moves that matters. Mm. You know, mm. I don't know if that resonates with you. It's the, it's the yeah. connection with the feelings. It's what it's your experience of the yoga. So being um, connected to the awareness of the, everything that happens when you do it, that's the purpose or the, the true way yeah. of that sort of thing. Completely. You know, when I think about when I was doing uh, martial arts or most sports, really, I wasn't really listening or tuning into the feedback my body was giving me. I was just basically pushing it to its limit to the point where, whether it broke or not. You know, it was like that kind of level. And then, you know, then I would have an injury. And then the association was that my body let me down in some way because, it, yeah. you know, that was that kind of like an unhealthy relationship with your body, you know. Or no relationship. <laughs> yeah, no relationship. And then you start looking to exterior uh, people to fix it and to explain to you what went wrong and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think the difference with practices of yoga is that the feedback you're you're looking for is is that feedback is what you're actually tuning into. You're not ignoring that feedback. So. Yeah. You know, I if think that's you are a... thinking about your analogy, what you talked about with your coffee cup, you know, <laughs> how you, I think these practices cultivate your relationship with yourself. So I've, I've met quite advanced like yoga practitioners who aren't really practicing yoga. I've seen people basically using their mat as a competitive sport with their body. You know, it's oh, like yeah. I, I don't think necessarily being flexible or strong can cultivate a deep practice but I think it's about the intention and the awareness and I think that sometimes people can associate that with flexibility and strength but I think when your breath is correct and you're practicing with the right intention and the the focus then you know I, I mentioned this on here before I had a great conversation with this guy called Simon Borg Olivier and he asked me he said to me Jay how much of your yoga practice is actually yoga? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, be honest with yourself. 
maybe 80% of it is more like physiotherapy and strength and flexibility. And maybe 20, maybe like 15% of it is actually just like your nervous system. You want to kind of like uh, reduce your stress and calm down. Maybe 5% of it is actually where you're in a state where you're not judging yourself and you're just accepting yourself as you are. And you're in a bit of a flow state where you're just breathing and moving. And, and he said that can change from day to day. And I said, I agree. It's like, I don't, you know, and it made me question what I was doing a lot and the kind of intention with my practice, because sometimes it can just become this very physical thing around movement and breath. But actually, how much of that am I not judging myself and kind of trying to change myself? I'm actually just in this neutral state of just breathing and moving, you know? I think that's the best way, isn't it? I mean, we're all learning this and it, it, it changes from day to day, as you say. It's almost bad to make it one thing. Um, mm. I mean, I've gone full circle with yoga. I, I moved to, uh, I live in Aviemore in Scotland, in the Highlands. Mm. And uh, we had this yoga class in our local hall. And it ended up becoming so popular, like it was, they had to do two sessions. And everybody mm. treated it as this amazing, like, chance to catch up and chat, you know, and all that. <laughs> and but, but more and more popular. But for most of the people there, I think, to start with, I'll talk about my experience of it, it was more about stretching. Mm. Uh, I wasn't yeah. interested in strength. I wasn't uh, I saw it as an hour a week where I could sit and stretch on the mat. Uh, I, and uh, maybe just, you know, that was it. But, you know, the, the, the always ended with a and, and a yoga teacher. She's great. Um, she definitely has a, a deeper angle to it. There's no question. And uh, But mm. that wasn't, it was never, uh, it was like you have your yoga session for whatever you need. And mm. the yoga set, the session would be an hour long, and it, but there'd always be this bit at the end called final relaxation where you went into this corpse pose mm. and you just lay there. Mm. And then you could hear people snoring. And actually, most <laughs> for me, this was the highlight of it. I was like, could we just yeah. do this for an hour? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that was the only time of the week I actually lay down and stopped, you know, yeah. uh, I, or so I thought. And that was the, that was the, my, the, but for most of the people there, I think it was presented as just a stretching thing. Mm. But I've since gone back to yoga as I've, I've as I've developed, uh, like, as I was saying this, you know, trying to, re trying to release trauma or injury, you know, it's been and mm. actually health and bad health and injury and disease or something has mm. been my kind of return to it in a way and, mm. and going through this massage thing every couple of weeks with an mm. osteopath i'm actually using that and yoga to try and get to the knot that i'm trying to release and it's not just a physical mm. thing it's probably related to trauma and all that but mm. uh, now there's a couple of um there's a couple of poses for example that i get into and i just want to stop right there and do it as slow as I can mm. and just really feel it. Mm. And if you stop and you really slow down and you get in touch mm. with it, you can start to notice, oh, I'm dropping my hip here. I'm actually doing this way more on one side. There's a part of my mm. body that's avoiding this movement. What's going on there? You know, yeah. you can only do that with some sensory experience. And actually, most of the yoga I've been involved in, it's quite it doesn't give you the time to stop and go back to the pose like pigeon for example every time i go into pigeon i'm like oh man i could just stay there it's like a warm bath or something you know like yeah, yeah. give me give me pigeon for an hour you know uh so now when i do it on my own i spend more time like on my hip and my pelvis and opening that up for whatever mm. some reason and 
just going, whoa. And all of a sudden, my uh, side of my head starts, um, you know, all the nervous system that's t- tight mm. in my face maybe opens up from that, opening up the yeah. hip. And so I've gone full circle with yoga and actually now seeing it as, I'm trying not to even call it yoga. It's just, it's, but we, it's a definition. But yeah. the, the body is actually, well, again, we're back to polarity, body and mind, but connecting with feelings is actually, and the sensory side of it is actually, I think, again, that's like going out to sea. That's the mm. boat leaving the harbor again, you know, I think, yeah. you know. Uh, and but that's connecting the, with your emotions. Oh, man, big time. I'm, yeah. I, in fact, one of the books right in front of me here um, was uh, The Strange Order of Things. I don't know if you heard of that. It's um, mm. by Antonio Damasio. He's like on a million podcasts. Yeah. And he's some like mega professor guy. <laughs> but uh, his f- sense of it all is that um, actually feelings, uh, your feelings and everything associated with that are central. And actually, they're your main guide. Right. Mm. And he talks, actually, he says that emotions and feelings are not the same thing. They're not even yeah. the same thing biologically. And so yeah. um, he says that's the, the, actually the, the order of things is actually that the feelings that you have are primary. But, you know, we're men, right? We're not men have feelings. And that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. big boys, big boys don't cry, you know. Mm. That's sort of that's built into you from a really early age. So, um, mm. that's something that at this point in time I'm sort of reconnecting with and it's no surprise that the physical side of me is improving and relaxing at the same time as the mental side because as I said yeah. they're not different, It's they're all connected 100% you know and I think that practices like yoga or there's lots of different practices but I think a lot of the time they bridge that gap yeah and they bridge mm-hmm. the gap between your thoughts your feelings, your emotions and what's going on in your physical body and the connection between that, whether that's your nervous system or muscle tissue or fascia or, you know, whatever, I don't think it really matters. It's more about thinking of it as this one kind of organic organism that is interconnected rather than, you know, separating it and cutting it up into pieces to, to understand it. You know, that's the kind of one side of our brain that needs to compartmentalize things to try to understand it rather than seeing it as this kind of organic organism. It's a very reductionist science approach. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that's why a lot of science in healthcare is failing because it's siloed. We're actually treating a siloed. disease rather than a patient, right? Yeah. We treat yeah. an image. We treat, a, we treat a diagnosis, not the patient, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. That's yeah, another Yeah, it's kind of common, but... <laughs> yeah. It's this, uh, it's this reductionist thinking, you know? And it's interesting because, like, my Ashtanga teacher, Ian, more or less any question you'd ask him, it didn't really matter what it is. You know, the first series of yoga in Ashtanga yoga is called primary series. And his answer would be just do that. You know, it's just like this one answer really. And I think because for him, that system of breath work and movement is just go into that, you know, whether it's physical, mental, psychological, (laughs) breath work related, it's like, just, you know, just do that and just go into that. And It's funny you you say that. Because I think from our culture, uh, I think the answer to a lot, you know, the reason we're having this podcast, the reason we read books, the reason we do all this stuff is we're searching for some kind of ultimate truth or something, right? Because we maybe don't believe that what we have right now is legitimate or it's not authentic or something. So, we know, we're trying to find that again. And, And actually, I'm starting to get a feeling that the answer to all this is actually something very, very simple. But we want a complicated answer. Because, look, I've got all these books in front of me. How long are they? 
there's books that are four or five hundred pages long, right? <laughs> and I actually think the longer the book, the harder it is for the person to explain it, right? And uh, Probably, so yeah. <laughs> some of the best some of the best books I have uh, are, and the, the the people who put it most simply, uh, it's that's a small book, you know, and you're like. Mm. And, and I think in my heart, you just mentioned it there, breathwork, right? And mindfulness, I guess, is a is a, tar, a term that's thrown around a lot about just connect with the breath. And actually, you know, my my gut feel, we're back to gut feel again, yeah. is that actually, like for me, I had no sense where my diaphragm was. I didn't do belly breathing. Mm. I just breathed through mm. my neck almost, I you know, my throat, really? mm. even so, you know. Mm. And uh, uh, so even just developing a, an understanding of the way I breathed and how it wasn't helping me. Um, that was, a that's, that's still something that's blowing my mind, but mm. it might well simply be that again, connecting with, we call it belly breathing. I'd give you a, I'd show you how naive I was. I thought my belly breathing was where the, I thought my belly was actually where the most fat was. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, below the belly button, you know, if you're a type of guy, you know, you, the, the lower <laughs> abdominal area, if you don't use that much, if you've never used your pelvis and hips much, which is again, yeah. related to emotion, I think. But yeah. um, hmm. for me, I thought belly breathing was breathing down there. So I'd keep yeah. my chest and my diaphragm still as hell, yeah. forcing yeah. myself to breathe from my belly. And I'm like, well, he's not even meant to do that, right? <laughs> so it was, it, this um, osteo person who had been helping me, she's been like, you know, doing stuff to, like, with the diaphragm and like re-turning that on. And yeah. all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, right, start breathing from your belly actually doing that and uh, mm. this book again from uh, Stephen Cope talked about a really simple cue for it was um um uh, what was it belly breathing it was something to do with soft belly that was the cue yeah. soft belly mm. so just trying to breathe softly from there but the mistake I was making was I was trying to restrict breathing from my chest and every other part yeah. of my body it sounds stupid mm. right but if you take things literally like me and they yeah, say breathe through your belly, you're like, yeah. well, I ain't breathing with anything else. So uh, <laughs> this whole breathing thing, but it's interesting just to come back to the, what you said about um, the importance of just connecting with the breath. It might be that that's 90% of it, right? Yeah, It might be 99% yeah. of it. And we don't, we, but we don't want the answer, right? We don't want the answer. We it want the answer that says, <laughs> it has to be a system. It has to be a whole bunch of unattainable stuff to work through. And it's like, no, 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 that's that's getting back to the mind and the ego again, right? Yeah. I think there's different levels and layers to this. You know, it's like, I think these are, I, the way I see it is that all of these things are different tools, you know, <laughs> and there's like a bunch of different tools that you can use to, I guess to break down the different layers of yourself and I think everyone has a different kind of starting place or a yeah, different yeah. Uh, you know a different origin with all that and I think that not everyone has to do the same practice and not everyone has to kind of follow the same path everyone has their own kind of route but like thinking about this guy's talk I went to recently this Ian Baker about what they were doing in Tibet and what I've been practicing from India and different parts of the world I think they all have the same focus and that's really is kind of breaking down these ideas around who you think you are and I think that's the kind of to me that's the kind of origin and the goal of this stuff yeah you get the physical benefits of 
being able to breathe better, your nervous system's more regulated, your muscle tissue becomes uh, more sensitive and pliable and you have less pain in the body potentially and all these other kind of things that happen from these different practices. But I think the deeper structural layer of it is that you're going into yourself on a daily or weekly basis and kind of using your body as this kind of tuning fork to yourself. Yeah, it's like a self-inquiry. And it's kind of at the most physical structure of yourself, which is your body and listening to that. And I think that's what cultivates this um, intuition and like feedback you get from that. Yeah, and I think that 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 can kickstart people in lots of different ways. And, you know, the, the practices that this guy was describing in Tibet were very different to what I practice. But at the same time, the intention and the focus was kind of the same. And I think that, it kind of made me think that it doesn't really matter in a way potentially what the practice is. It's just what's the intention and how are you practicing, you know? Yeah. But you know, the, the intention is interesting because I, I think it's a cultural thing. If you get brought up in a certain culture like uh, Asia or a, mm. a Buddhist country or Hindu, you know, mm. uh, you, you, your whole kind of wiring because you've not been brought up maybe with Harry Potter, Star Wars, Disney, and you know the yeah. you know, Cinderella. Yeah. Um, it's a you have a whole different kind of uh, system of processing things, and I think that's why people like us, when you're you're again more Western, I hate using those phrases, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us have a hard time re- connecting with an Eastern message because mm. we're just we've been brought up in this attainment culture that there's somewhere to get to you'd get your job you get your qualification you pass your degree you do this you do that and so for us even this whole thing about there's almost a sense that oh, i need to get to there and then i'll know uh, yeah. i need to do more of this more of that and uh the answer is mm. just around the corner i'll keep going around the corner so it i'll be happy even, when yeah <laughs> yeah and, and actually maybe the whole yeah. concept of a boat in a harbor is a misturn as well because maybe there's no such thing maybe uh it's all just one thing, and I, but that's the that's the ultimate uh, scary thought in a way, isn't it? That uh, but that, well, scary. I use that phrase for a reason for whatever. But the the concept that there's an attainment, and and it's back to what I said to you a moment ago. But the breath, mm. and we want a complicated answer, and we maybe want a complicated system because we've been brought up to think about things in a systematic, reductionist way. Yeah. It, and actually, maybe this thing that we're trying to find and connect with. We're connecting with it all the time. We just don't see it or recognize it, and we think that uh, mm. it's not there, you know. And I, I, yeah. I, we have moments every day where we touch it and feel it, and we go, yeah. "Oh, it can't just be that. It can't be that. It's got to be this mystical thing where, where I'm going to be in an ocean of bliss twenty four seven, and I can, you know, mm. I can um, transport myself to some other dimension and all this." Because <laughs> a lot of the books, a lot of the books you read by these guys who've lived in that culture. They do talk about it in those ways. And uh, mm. so you feel like you're failing at spirituality if you're not having no, it. So it's back to the whole jealousy, failure, uh, yeah. you know, doubt. Your ego's going, oh, I'm <laughs> crap at this. You know, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, th- th- and all that gets in the way again, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, maybe if you have this idea that you should be in this blissful state kind of 24-7, you know. I, I remember... Again, I remember talking to my original teacher, Ian, and I said, uh, do you think it's possible to be like that? And he said, no. 
He said, I don't think it is. He said, I've tried. <laughs> and he, said, I, he said, I think that to be human, to be alive, is to have the light and the dark, you know, this the right. whole experience, yeah? It's the whole experience 100%. of being alive. It's like maybe the, the blissful state is where you don't attach judgment or um, some ideology around what your experience is, you know? It's like most of the ideas around Buddhism is is the attachment to something is suffering because you have the sense of loss or some ideology that you wanted or some something you wanted to happen didn't and it didn't happen so now you're suffering so it's this idea that you're always trying to to gain something yeah so i think that this whole blissful state thing potentially feeling more blissful is following your intuition and your gut feeling around what feels right but maybe accepting that that path will have light and dark <laughs> Some right things were, this are not this is this is a this is the nub of it, right? I actually, I, I've read a lot about that this week, actually. It's something I really, uh, one of these moments when you read a book and your eyebrows are like pinned to your neck behind your head because you're just going, wait a minute, this is spelling out in black and why Why did I not read this stuff, you know? But yeah. this, whole, this whole concept of enlightenment, right? And somehow if you do it right, uh, you will get to this other place, this other shore, this place out at sea, for example, where yeah. all of a sudden everything's going to be perfect. Well, mm. we're told that if we buy this magazine or we buy this trainers or once we get the car, mm. the house, the wife, the whole damn thing, mm. you'll finally be happy. So I think that's kind of part of our wiring. But mm. the, the this whole concept of light and dark, happy and sad, it's a paradox, isn't it? And mm. I'm, I, I, just this week I had a real kind of, I wouldn't say it's a aha moment because we have them all the time, uh, and you know, try not to be over over um, excited about having these breakthroughs, but they happen all the time. Um, yeah, and the this concept of polarity. So, you know, let me give you an example of the paradox there because even in meditation, so some of the most basic ones, you know, if you did um, mindfulness of breathing, and there's a meta mm. meta meditation, right, which is yeah. all about cultivating loving kindness. Yeah, uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. but but the, there are places in that where I get lost with the logic, right? It's just the way I work because in that it says, may I be free of suffering? May she be free of suffering? And I'm like, ah. So that, again, reinforces this thing that may I be happy, may I be free of suffering? And that, again, is back to mind-body. It's a duality. And mm. if the, you... I the the re, part of the reason we were maybe all attractors in the first place is hard to know. I think there's many levels to this. The mm. ego probably thinks it's attainment. It's another it's another qualification. I'm better than <laughs> you. I did the marathon. You know, once I did the marathon, I need to do an Ironman. Once I've done yeah. that, you know, the next thing's meditation. No, now I'm doing yoga. I, I'm, I'm now that. gonna get. I'm gonna get enlightened. <laughs> That's the next step in the, the my seat. I'm gonna put on my CV. You know, uh, enlightened. But the, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the the. <laughs> So even even within like some of those ideologies, like I just described meta meditation, there's this whole concept about being free from suffering. And there again, I I get off that boat because I think, well, it's maybe that's impossible, right? Maybe that maybe mm. maybe it, the 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 fact that we call something light or dark. Um, in fact, I've got a nice little story for you there because um, mm. where I live in Aviemore. 
there's a beautiful forest around here for running. Rossi Mercus and Glenmore and stuff. Ancient yeah. pine forest, you know. Yeah. Um, great place to yeah. feel like you're connecting with all the old stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, there's this part of this run I always get to, and it's at the top of this little hill. So I'm usually like working hard to get the top of there. And at the top of this little hill, there's just a beautiful view. But next to the path, there are two mega old trees. Like they must be hundreds mm -hmm. of years old, right? Mm -hmm. And I decide I, I I called one of them Yin and the other one Yang. <laughs> so Yin and Yang, right? And part of my whole thing was every time I got to this place, I would stop and I'd go, so which is it today, right? <laughs> Am I yin or am I yang? Am I happy? Am I angry? Because quite often I would run angry, and you know, and like yeah, it'd yeah. be my way of, I, you know, yeah, relief. Fear, fear, and anger was being expressed through running, right? So I'd get to this yeah. point, and go, well, am I, am I, how am I today? Was my question when I got to these mm. two trees. But I always viewed it that I should be away from the angry bit, and actually, I should be the happy, blissful yoga zen runner rather than this angry guy mm. right rocky should rocky the, balboa you know should is a and, tricky word yeah right so yeah, i got yeah. I, and, and and so for years and i still do it i get to that point and i go which is it but actually my answer's changing just like my answer to the question on my mug mm. i'm like i actually think that there's some ultimate truth again that's a definition or a concept but mm. somehow the real answer is that it's all of it and it's mm. even that's even come out in Star Wars in the last films where they were like, maybe the Jedi and the Sith is actually the wrong answer. Maybe it's balance, right? That was what Always. that kind of all. Yeah. That's how it wound up, right? And Always. I'm like, there's there's some truth to that. Maybe that uh, the ultimate thing is to not. And this is back to running away from suffering, running away from pain, running away. Maybe the concept of the boat being all the suffering, or the mm. harbor being all the suffering, actually. Uh, so maybe the true answer, if there's such a thing, is to go, well, maybe it's cool to be in the boat sometimes then go back to harbour. Maybe we don't have to. Maybe we can enjoy all of it. Uh, maybe yeah. that's actually the truth. But, you know, I, I I would change my answer to that almost daily, you know? Yeah. I'm, I, you know, it's good you have this uh, yin and yang image of the trees because I, this is something to come up with this guy in this discussion around... Uh... Uh, Chinese philosophy and the uh, chi, you know, around the yin and the yang. And actually, when you look at the yin and yang symbol, they're not halved. They go into each other. They're equal, but they actually go into each other. And right, uh, my philosophy on life these days is mostly around that. It's around balancing out two opposing forces. And when I, I actually looked at this podcast, uh, I have like a login for it, and I looked at the the naming of my podcast and I realized that nearly all of them are opposites you know there's like an opposite thing and I think for me most of the time it is just trying to balance out these two different energies it's trying to balance out yin or yang or right and wrong or hate mm. and fear or love you know it's always about trying to find some kind of middle ground between two things because if I ever go into my intuition around what feels right it's always, it's never an extreme of anything. It's always like the kind of midline, you know, it's always well, uh, trying can to we find talk that, about that mid Can we address the concept of the midline? Because I, I, mm. I, I get that, the middle way in Buddhism, right? Mm. And um, that suggests that at times, like if you think about um, 
the way the sun and the moon react, right? Is it ever truly dark, right? Is it ever truly light? There's a continuation mm. of one into the other. It's a blending, mm. right? Mm. Uh, maybe some scientists would say, yeah, it's truly dark at a certain moment in time, right? But mm. um, there, there's a uh, – actually, it's really interesting you said that because there's a sports um, book that I, uh, wrote, I, I read, which was all about peak performance. Uh, yeah. Again, and, and it was about this concept of balance, right? Mm. Stress plus rest equals growth. Yeah. And but uh, in that the concept was all about balance and maybe your view of balance, which comes back to yin and yang, positive and negative. It's worth investigating that because from a from a high level surface view, you go well. The middle way means it should be like stereo headphones. It should be half yeah. one ear, half the other, all the time. Yeah. That's the middle way. And actually, what the, what I got out of this book was actually that the real concept of balance depends on the time frame. So uh, the, the ideal scenario would be that every single day of your life, you're balanced the whole time, right? That's the, almost the enlightenment. That's the that's this thing that you're trying to get to, right? Mm. But maybe the reality is that over the course of a week, for example, or a month, like if we were to say, you know, the perfect day, if you were to describe that, you know? <laughs> You wake up and you have this and you have that and you have it's all about pleasure actually, ironically. A lot of it's about pleasure, right? Yeah. Um your perfect day isn't about getting a bird shit on your head or getting knocked down <laughs> or falling off your bike. You know, a perfect day is always just all good things happen. You eat your favorite bitter dinner. It's like your yeah. birthday, right? Or you know, yeah. your birthday's meant to be like that, isn't it? Nothing yeah, can be bad yeah. on your birthday. Yeah. Uh so but the the way this um book or this podcast guy was talking about it was like actually Maybe if you look at it over a longer time frame, you have balance, but over a longer period. So mm-hmm. all the things you want to do today, if you were to describe me, Jay, what are all the things you'd love to do? Like if you had your perfect day, you'd write them all down, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, about well, maybe the issue here is time, because if you just looked at it from a perspective of a day, you'd go, how was your day? Oh, it was crap. I worked all day. But what did you do the other day? Oh, yeah, I had a day off. I went to the beach and sat all day. I'm in a great time. Ice cream. Right. So if you mixed it up over two days, that's balance, right? Yeah. But because you look at it as one day, you go, one day was shit, one day was great. But yeah. as actually you go, the balance was a sum of the two days where you had a blending of both, right? So what makes a good year? A good year isn't bliss all the time, surely. I mean, I'd love to try that. Play needs <laughs> drugs or something. But maybe the best year is when you have a mixture of bad, good, crap and actually i'm a i'm a i'm a musician i'm a creative person mm. and i think the source of a lot of my creativity is actually all the suffering and all the all the bad stuff that creates an energy which mm. you somehow drives you um yeah I, i'd like to imagine there's also a source of that creativity inspiration which comes from i would call it a good side if you want to call it that a light side yeah i guess a lot of creative people probably don't tap into that because we probably spend less of our time in that kind of state i'm guessing i'm just making a, a huge generalization yeah. there but you yeah know. yeah i guess you know anger has a lot of energy you know like yeah. there's a lot of energy with anger and i think that maybe culturally anger is seen as a negative thing but it's a feeling you have and it's an emotion that comes up in the body and it has a lot of energy with it i think it's how you express it <laughs> or what you do and, and, with it I'd be interested to know from your perspective how you feel that because, I mean, scientifically, we know that, for example, 
any given time, a thought or an emotion has a pretty short half-life, way shorter than coffee, right? So 90 yeah. seconds, you know, if you have an angry thought right now or a fearful thought, if you actually gave it something like 90 seconds, it would just blow through you biochemically, right? But yeah, for, you, pay yeah. you pay attention to it and then you, you almost create more of it. Yeah, for me, anger is a secondary response to something else. Right. You know, to me, anger is uh, it's not the origin, you know. To me, the origin is like maybe hurt you feel Fear. hurt in some yeah. way or, or afraid and then your response is anger so mm. most of the time for me anger once you're aware that you're angry it kind of just dissipates pretty much straight away you know you kind of have this self-awareness <laughs> no but you know you're like oh i'm angry and it changes it you know it's like you're aware that you're not in the emotion you're kind of you're able to sort of step back at some level and see that that's how you're operating. And I don't think that, it changes the feeling or what you do with it, but it, being able to be aware that you're angry, I think can change how you respond rather than maybe reacting to something you're able to kind of respond in your own time and sort of have some awareness to it. But I think that it's a legit feeling. It's not something to disregard. It's more just, uh, for me, it's about being able to respond rather than react and yeah. being in the state of the emotion you know that seems to be the concept of mindfulness in a nutshell actually it's actually being yeah. generating that awareness yeah and, and noticing uh uh the change but um and then and then the theory being that if you're able to and this is the theory i'm still learning this myself <laughs> uh the theory <laughs> the mental part uh if i was just to describe it in words because that's what a podcast mm. is um it's that awareness or sensation and then noticing it, and then this is the bit that I always get confused with, and I find mm. it so hard because it's described like this in most of these books, right? Um, experience it non-judgmentally, and I'm like, but I'm a fucking human being, you know? <laughs> exactly. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've been brought up to judge everything. I, you know, I was yeah. brought up in a culture where God judged you. You, know, you were scared <laughs> of judgment. You were scared. You know, it's like it's written as if it's just like, yeah, just don't judge yourself, and I'm like. But how the hell do you not do how that? Do you you know, that, yeah. how do you do it? It's not that easy, you know. And, but the, I found a few tricks um, that <laughs> at least helped me to steer myself away from just the the judgment of it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah I, and, and I got some of this from a there's a really good book called The Place That Scare You. I don't know if you've read that. Pema no, Chodron, no, no. Um, beautiful, right? Um, the the and this is a, back to this whole thing about. Um, because as I say, it's not quite as simple. Well, it is as simple as, but how you do it's another thing. But uh, how you get to that place where you're able to experience the emotion and then not react or react yeah. in a different way. And I guess that I've found two ways so far, and I'm still working on this. So you know, we do this podcast again, but it yeah. might be different. And actually, if you actually <laughs> find one way, that's enough. It doesn't need to be two. Uh, yeah. Two ways Whatever for me works. are, yeah, yeah the, the, the steps I've been using are, Stop giving things words, right? So as soon as you experience an emotion, it's all right to go, well, to first of all, recognize this anger and recognize that to label it. I think that's okay to start with, but get that word out of the way quickly and just experience it as a sensation, right? Mm. And so rather than like, oh, here I, here I go, I'm getting angry again, I can feel it. Rather than go, shit, I'm getting angry, I don't want to be angry, go, well, let's just take the angry word out of it and see it's just as a, a, a feeling. So take the word out. 
and just have the feeling, the energy, right? Mm. It's a simpler way of putting it. Yeah. Again, it's a ma- energy is a definition, it's a word, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm. It, th- there's an energy associated with it and let it dissipate. But at the same time, the, the books, a lot of the books I've read about this talk about at that point, you have a choice, you know, to either a conscious choice, shall we say, to either investigate it fully and get to the root of it mm. or I'd say, you know what, I'm not up for that right now. Let's just continue <laughs> with what I was doing, you know. Uh, and that's always been a really hard thing for me, you know, that choice, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, um, and and I think the – so the two things are, for me, it's, it's taking the word out of it and actually getting to the point where you just have that feeling and actually feeling where it is in your body, you know, you know mm. and seeing, can, can I just let that dissipate? But the bit I find the most challenging is the choice. Should I investigate and get to the root of that now, or bin it and come back to that another day? And yeah. that's the boat. In, that's back to the boat in the harbor again, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that everyone sort of navigates themselves, isn't it? You know, I, I I've got an example of that lately actually. That uh, I talked about this with my teacher actually. Is how do you know when to go into something or not? You know, especially. Uh, during yoga practice because sometimes a feeling or an emotion could come up and his idea was that if it keeps coming up then maybe it's something that you need to inquire into but sometimes mm. uh, we ha- sometimes it's good to take the mind out the way and just let the body experience it and let it go right. you know so it's I think that's a tricky thing to navigate I I had this recently like uh you know I go into my body pretty deeply on a daily basis more or less so sometimes that can be a bit, can be a lot, you know, it can be a bit too much and I have to sort of back off or, you know, whatever. And lately, this was about four or five days ago, maybe a week, I, I just had this very sad feeling, you know, just generally feeling a, a sense of loss and sadness and the, and it was there a lot. And, you know, I decided this week that, I'm not going to go into that psychologically. I decided that potentially my body is just letting go of something maybe, or there's something there that I don't really fully understand. Maybe I don't really need to. I'm just going to let it play out and just see if it kind of dissolves or changes because potentially I've opened something up in my body that I'm not fully aware of. And I'm just going to let my body just kind of trust it a little bit to do its thing. And That's such a beautiful that's such a beautiful way of describing it. Let your body, trust your body. Yeah. You know? And you know, all week I've had crazy dreams as well. Like ever since, you know, every night I have these very like fear based dreams that are mm. kind of playing out. And I'm just thinking, well, I'm just going to let that process, if, you know, happen the same way, you know, if I cut my finger, I might just let my body just fix it. You know, it's like, I don't need yeah. to do much. It's just, I'm going to get out of the way a little bit and just let it do its thing, you know? That's a that's the I guess that's described often as the conscious or the unconscious part of you, uh, yeah. and again it's a duality. But uh, mm. I mean the, the the but your your initial reaction to when you feel that sadness mm. uh, usually is one of recoil, right? Yeah. Oh, there's something wrong here. I don't want to yeah. go there, uh, and so you feel worse about yourself because you're feeling sad or blue mm. or low. Um, I got I got a little bit of wisdom on that for what it's mm. worth, which is, um, yeah. and this is something I wrestle with all the time, but 
my experience of it. So I, I, um, I, the thing that really triggered this for me was about three years ago. I think I mentioned to you, I, I do these mm. brutal races, X-Try, triathlon, yeah, yeah. Ironman things. I did one in Switzerland uh, called mm. Swiss Man and uh, trained mm. really hard for it. And uh, all the way through at the end, I just gave, during, I, I found it really hard because it's really warm. You know, I'm Scottish. I don't like direct sunlight, you know. <laughs> it was really hot. I'd been trying this. I'd been trying this low carb diet, which was never going to work oh, for this race. God, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was um, eating. I was using uh, stuff like cheese and stuff, and uh, I didn't realize it. But in really hot weather, your body just doesn't digest cheese. So I was eating yeah, cheese. You, you need sugar and carbs. Yeah, yeah. you do. And I, and I, my body, I start to look like a pregnant person when my my stomach got bigger and bigger. And I'm like, man, I'm bursting out. It's like alien. I'm bursting out my cycling top here. And I'm trying to like cycle an extra 10 kilos of water up this damn hill, you know. But but all the way through, I gave myself, I, I, I had a really hard day. And halfway through, I was like, man, I'm just going to have to stop and get off my bike. And, you know, my mm. ego was obviously not happy about this because I put all yeah. this training in and my expectations were. And so I, I did this race and I got to the end and I, we finished. I finished, and um, I, I seem to have this ability to recover when it gets colder. Funnily enough, and uh, not for the first time, but I came back from the grave, you know, and I we finished, and it was an amazing race. Uh, but I had this thing about I never want to do that again. There, I don't want to give myself such a brutal pasting mentally for yeah. you know the, the judgment and all that, and so. Yeah. I decided I was going to get to the bottom of it, and that started this whole process that you know leads us to where we are now, and. Right. It, it's worth bringing this up because, uh, again, my initial method was intellectual because that's all I knew. I always had the mm. story that, you know, I've dug myself out of various holes because I've managed to develop an intellect, you know, and then mm. my mind is a solution to everything. And that only serves you so far. And uh, mm. I got to the point where um, it was really as much about um, – there's two sides to this. Again, unfortunately, lots of things get described in duality, but uh, mm. again, coming to that book about yoga and the quest for the true self, which I, I'm rereading, um, mm. uh, in there we talk about, there's almost, I don't know if this is true, but the, the author talks about in most cultures that are spiritually inclined or you know seekers, if you mm. like, there's two sides to this that you need to cultivate. And if you only cultivate one side, you actually, you, you're, you're going to do yourself more damage so let me explain it. It means like what we're doing on one side is cultivating more awareness, right? But the what they never tell you in these books is, well, they do actually if you read them, <laughs> you don't even see it, right? Because you don't want the you don't want the message in there. But my experience of it is that I've always been a highly uh, sensory person. You know that comes from childhood trauma. You know if you're if you're living in fight or flight, you have a strong sense of am i safe or not right mm. and so your your radar is tuned really high to things you know yeah. and and so for me awareness was never that much of a problem it was almost over awareness uh yeah and and as i've cultivated more awareness like you might have described earlier you get deeper into the onion but yeah. the problem is uh and i there's only a few books i've read on the subject of enlightenment and all that stuff that they're actually a bit more honest and they go do you know what the start of this um they don't tell you well you're actually going to become uh i heard it put one way a connoisseur of your neuroses right so yeah actually the more awareness you generate the more um the more anger and sadness and so-called dark stuff 
is there and uh mm. the, the the it can actually make you a lot worse unless and here's the unless part which is the other side of the coin uh, and the way it's described you have to ability you have to have the ability to the the the, the obvious word here is compassion you have to have mm. some kind of feeling you know this is the back to the feelings and the emotion and the body and the gut and the heart maybe in other parts mm. of you but it's that tension between the mind and the body again, ironically, but maybe, but that the the generating for me at least my experience was generating more awareness just seemed to make me worse, and I almost tuned out, and uh, to the point where the the all the stuff I was uncovering, my actual solution to dealing with all of that was to go numb, right? So to switch mm. off entirely. And yeah. so I became like, you know, again, Star Wars, um, Luke Skywalker turned himself off from the force and went into yeah. hiding, right? That yeah. was me for like three years. I was like, I am, I thought that was Zen, right? <laughs> I thought yeah. Zen meant being completely switched off. And uh, mm. for a long time, I asked this question uh, on Google. It's like, I was trying to find the answer to this about, you know, um, how do you deal with this? What I thought then was Zen, which was like being completely switched off and neutral and have no feelings and being yeah. completely balanced. That's the middle way, or so I thought. Um, mm. How do you how do you reconcile that with living and being like up for stuff? Like you know, I still you know, I still. What's wrong with having desires to run up a mountain or to swim across a sea or to mm. love someone or to play beautiful music or you know have mm. a nice pizza? You know, um, mm. that, so for me that whole three-year period I went through, I just didn't have any compassion for myself. I didn't have any love for myself. In fact, no. I, you know, most of us have that self-despising, you know, Judeo-Christian, not yeah. good enough, we're sinners, we're yeah. filth, you know. And it, it, it actually probably, it probably took me about three years to get to the point where I thought, hold on a minute, you know, this thing about getting back in touch with feeling and the body emotion, that's, that's almost back to the yin and yang. That's the other side of this coin of awareness and having the ability. I've heard it described as this, having the trust that your body and your sum total of all of that, all of you has the capacity to hold all the pain, right? right. So ha handle all the trauma and all the dark side. And again, it's back to that. The balance is maybe trusting, but you like what you said originally, mm. having the capacity to hold all of it in some form of balance, but allowing yourself to have good days, bad days, rather than reaching for this, it should some be oceanic, you know, uh, flotation tank kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, what's interesting about that, what I thought of when you said it was that, you know how you said what kick-started this was this, uh, like, savage day when you yeah. just kind of brutalised yourself and pushed yourself and then was hard on you. But it sounds like, the origin of this, what I picked up on was actually a sense of like wanting compassion because, uh -huh. you know, like if you've pushed yourself to that point, it sounds like to me, what I picked up on was not wanting to do that again was kind of having compassion for yourself, you know, to not wow. take yourself I, to that place. Actually, I think the roots of it, and I um, I actually think the roots of, I don't know how deep we do want to go down this rabbit hole, but yeah. In investigating that further, um, in fact, the first part of my whole investigation into what the hell's wrong with me? Why am I giving myself such a hard time? Yeah. You know, uh, to such a savage degree. <laughs> yeah. I read, I read a book. I read a book called "Get Past Your Past" by Francine <laughs> Shapiro. Right, 
and so again my my first step into all this was actually intellectualizing um what makes how how much of an effect does your childhood and your reaction interaction with your parents have on you and how you develop mm. and before i read this book i just you know most people who have some kind of angle that they're trying to resolve just don't understand that actually most people if not everybody has this to some degree frankly even people who look like they've had the most amazing childhood uh it's not necessarily a blessing right um no, uh, definitely um, not. <laughs> but even so in the back of my mind i'm going yeah but come on surely those guys grew up uh, nicer and had a nicer time but look this is part of the mistake we make but that, yeah. that whole thing to start with made me realize that probably uh you do these things to get praise and love so if you had a parents that loved you or conditionally so be a good boy and i'll give you the present be it yeah, you know yeah. so um we were all probably grown up in an era where it was like be seen and not heard you know be you know mm. that whole type of thing was yeah quite yeah definitely prevalent yeah. then right and so your way of getting attention was to either be really great at something or you know to be shit at something like be a really <laughs> bad boy and then you got the same <laughs> attention right yeah, yeah. and it goes both sides of it so i was a reckless i was a total rebel for a long time and uh, some of that was just attention seeking too right so yeah. maybe maybe the the root of it was a sense that once I, you know, so for example, in the races, once I finally did it at a certain time, once I was able to bike a certain about mm. once I could swim a pace, run a certain pace, once I could put a race together, I would finally legitimize myself and all the mm. time I spent doing it. And finally, I would get some acceptance. You know, it's all, yeah, it's, yeah. It's all connected, right? So yeah. what you're searching for is you're, you're searching for acceptance and love and to belong uh and all of that and actually if you talk if i spoke to the people who i know in that who like i'm imagining this and still even though i'm saying this i still don't 100 <laughs> believe it. my my ego won't let me believe it yeah. if all the people i'm trying to impress if i said to them look this is why i'm doing it they'd go but look you know you don't have to do all that crap first yeah. to like you you know yeah. we're all playing yeah, this yeah. game about i need to do i need to uh look a certain way or do a certain way before i will fit in and then that's back to the harbor. We're all trying mm. to fit in. And mm. on the surface, we think we need to do all these outward things to uh, become legitimate. And uh, that was my starting point with all that. And uh, it, I've gone full circle. Well, not full circle, but to the, <laughs> through that, into the, what we were talking about earlier, but even this week about that connecting with yoga and feelings mm. and, uh, you know, getting out, whipping yourself and all that. <laughs> yeah, I think we all suffer from that, man. And I think... I was speaking to someone about this not long ago and I think men especially suffer with this from a specific angle because I think as men, I, there's definitely like the performer, Jay, you know, there's like a part of me that feels that I need to perform and sort of um, be good at something to kind of receive love. And especially I think when it comes to like probably at a primal level with finding a mate, you know, like this mm. kind of sexual level Safe, of being strong. Safety in numbers, man. Safety in numbers. Yeah, yeah, be strong and kind of, um, I think for men, it's a bit difficult to be vulnerable with their emotions because it's kind of seen as a weakness. And I think that as much as I've gone into this, I still struggle with that. You know, it's like, even with my partner now, it's like as a guy, you sort of had this sense of having to feel strong and secure and, you know, kind of like uh, in a stable sort of way and maybe being vulnerable with your emotions and being open kind of seen as like you're unstable or that you're not as strong. And I, I think men, 
I know that women suffer from this too, but I'm obviously talking about this from a guy's perspective, talking to another guy. I think that's something that is a bit tricky for men. And it's something that my father struggled with immensely. You know, he was like strong, silent type. I never saw that guy vulnerable or weak ever until he had a breakdown and then it just hit him like a fucking tsunami. So, you know, for me, that was like a wake-up call of like, as a guy... You can't live like that your whole life, you know. That there's a you can't be like that forever. Well, well you can, and but I think there's a cost to it. And uh, yeah, there's a cost, like that, huge one. Yeah. yeah, I just got yeah. a book here by a guy called Gaber Matty called "When the Body Says No: The Hidden Cost, yeah. the Cost of Hidden Stress." Yeah. And his whole concept is that you know that repression of emotion, either good or bad, it doesn't maybe matter. Yeah. But I guess he would probably talk about it more from negative keeping all that at bay and repressing all of that ultimately it does go somewhere and it, it all this repression of stress and mental health and anger actually for me it was actually more repression of happiness to be honest yeah. uh doing all of that you're 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 it, that's pro- his concept was that that's actually the root cause of a lot of ultimately disease and uh, yeah. our health problems is the repression of that and it gets stored in your body in some way i linked to like another book i have here called uh, the body keeps a score by a guy called Bessel yeah that's a great oh, one yeah man you know it's the same type of thing they're, they're both linked those books same sort of thing but it's, it's that repression uh yeah. and ultimately uh like i've been trying to deal with some health problems for like three years i wonder if it's actually related to because the health problems flared up when i started doing all this uh and so you know depression yeah. re- releasing yeah. all that releasing all that energy energy yeah i didn't have the compassion to handle it so i just became worse and more angry yeah. and uh, it stored itself mm. as a. I, I i just read uh in a book that talked about um i don't know if i can really believe this but it, it, i like <laughs> the concept of energy vortexes in your body you know like mm. i don't know about chakras and energy and centers yeah. i can see physically how we have bodies which have sources where there's more dense energy because we're a nervous system. Uh, but things get stored in, in places, muscles get tighter, you know, so there's mm. a different energy quality. I can get with that. And mm. uh, so muscles eventually become super tight and you get knots in your body. Mm. But it could be probably traced all the way back to some emotional trauma thing rather than just hitting your head on a wall, you know. Yeah, they're not separate. You know, most of my job is about this. And I, I, for me, they're not separate things, you know. And I think the more and more I, the longer I'm alive, the more I think of everything as energy in a way, you know, potentially, like, especially when I think about my physical self, you know, the, I see there's less of a boundary between my body and everything else, you know, when I, yeah, when I've kind of gone into quantum physics and other aspects and it kind of is very similar to a lot of Eastern philosophy, really, when I think yeah, about, yeah, yeah. you know, I recently had a tooth removed and, you know, I thought, that's like part of me is now not part of me. You know, that, that's like something that's gone. And the same way when I eat something, that then becomes part of my body to some yeah. extent. You know, it's like it's now part of me. So I think when I think about stress or emotions or to me, it's like a culmination of another type of energy that manifests in the body. And it does, it needs to go somewhere, you know, whether that's expressed outwardly in a positive or negative way or it's internalized in a positive and negative way and i think that refreshing of that energy 
uh, doesn't lead to good things. You know, it doesn't lead to a, a balanced yeah. state in the body. Yeah, it needs and to I think be that's expressed. A, yeah, that's an that's that's I almost say it's an ultimate truth rather than a relative one. You know, I think. Yeah. But if we go into that, it really <laughs> throws up some mega questions, doesn't it? You know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by this whole concept of you know again energy. I've, I'm like you. I like. Intellectually, I got some books on um, quantum physics and all that kind mm. of stuff, you know, and mm. uh, quantum entanglement and, you know, all this yeah. stuff, you know. And uh, on one level, it's mathematics because most, most of it's been, you know, born out of mathematical equations and stuff. But there's a symmetry to it. And a lot of the mathematics in mm. nature, and you're like, wow, you know, that just fries me. But, you know, mm. it's almost like it shouldn't be surprising. But uh, yeah. if we are – here's another angle to this, which uh, – you know, th- this is back to like the the boat and the harbor and being mm. out at sea, and maybe maybe it's all just one. It's that whole kind of you know. I've heard it put like you know the large self, the S with a capital S. You mm. know, self with a capital S. Uh, I find I really struggle with a lot of that, but I can get it conceptually, and I can get it. Um, I can almost get it. Um, if I if I use my imagination, I almost think I can feel that. But there's always a feeling that it should be something more. It can't just be that, you know. What, like what if do you mean? Your, well, it's hard to put into words, isn't it? But you know, when you're um, maybe this is the ultimate thing we're trying to reconnect with, and we think it's something magical, and actually, it's actually quite ordinary, and it's mm. we feel it all the time, but we just don't recognize it as what it is. I don't know. Mm. Like, uh, for example. Um, if you stand on top of a mountain, there's a peacefulness. There's a sort of can, there's a vibe, right? I guess I would just call mm-hmm. it a vibe, a vibration. Yeah. You know, the, mm. the, there's less. Uh, maybe there's less interference there in some shape, so you feel it more strongly. Or stand at the ocean, you know, uh, where you are, you can go to the sea, the harbor, and uh, there's just a vibe, you know, from the water when it's choppy, or you can really just, you just go wow. Or you see mm. a sunset. You're, you're, there's an energy to that. There's a vibe yeah, again. Yeah. And yeah. you, everybody has it, and you go, wow, there's a wow moment. Mm. Uh, and if you're able to slow down and actually just feel that, there's some kind of – there is a, a feeling, uh, but it's almost disguised um, or mm. maybe drowned out by all the other crap that goes on in our bodies. And mm. maybe that's where the stillness uh, that mm. we're, we're trying to cultivate is, is of such value because maybe in that point where you're still, it's easier to feel it. But again, you don't recognize yeah. it because you think it should be some magical bliss. But actually, maybe it's mm. just this. <laughs> maybe just the mind gets in the way, you know, and starts to try Every to time. figure it out. You know, this guy I went to see uh, do this talk, he he lived in uh, Nepal and Bhutan and traveled into Nepet, Tibet for decades, this guy, yeah, going on retreats and studying with these uh, Tibetan lamas. And a lot of the times he did these uh, solo retreats. So he'd go to like a cave for like two months and just, you know, go solo and do this stuff in the Himalayas. And he had a fascinating story, his life. It was like probably one of the most like authentic people I've ever met. He was a really, really lovely guy. And I'd traveled to Nepal before and done some hiking in the Himalayas and stuff, you know, and we were talking about there's an energy in that area that is kind of different. And I... I had quite a, a funky experience up there, you know, in terms of, uh, oh yeah, you know, there's an energy about the mountains or something, you know, and a lot of Norwegians talk about it here. And 
when during this conversation there was a geologist in the audience and this geologist was like a black belt in understanding the tectonic plates and the different areas of the planet and he related a lot of that to what has gone on in, in those areas like specifically the Himalayas around the energy around the earth moving and he was saying that it's no surprise that probably these people that have lived in that area their whole life they connect with this energy in that area around what's been happening around uh, the movement of uh, mountains and whatnot but I think that all humans can really connect with nature right everyone has an experience that you described of going into a forest, the ocean, sunsets, mountains, whatever you want to call it, there's this intrinsic sort of um, stillness or connection that you have with nature that you can't really explain. It's not a mind thing. It's just something you feel in your body and there's like a stillness to that. Yeah, it's like a... It's sort of magical. It, uh, you can't really explain it. It's just a feeling you have, you know. It's like a, a connected... I think, I, th I think that is beautiful the way you put it. I think it's magical, right? And, it, and yeah. there's that childlike wow, you know, Mm. um tell me about your funky experience i mean i'm intrigued i was in the i did this hike for about two two to three weeks and i went up over sort of about six thousand meters you know it's quite high and then come down and this is the short version but afterwards i felt high like high high you know like a like drug high you know for about mm. a week you know and I'd never felt so blissful and alive. And I related it to just having this very good experience and being in the mountains. And, you know, every day I would get up, I'd hike for six to eight hours to the next village, camp there. And I did that for two or three weeks, you know, gradually getting more height as I went along. And uh, after talking to this guy who lived in the Himalayas, it changed my view of what I experienced. I think what mm. I actually experienced was this energetic feeling of being that in the Himalayas and being in that area for such a long time. I was there for a couple of months. And there's something about certain places in the world where you, I think you connect with something you can't really explain. And, yeah. you know, in Tibetan culture and uh, mythology, they talk about this. He described it, he calls it the hidden lands. And, there's these places in Tibet that these lamas would go and meditate because the energy in that area was so strong. And I think that to me, this is like the kind of sensory stuff as humans that I don't think we really tune into anymore because we don't really need to. But I think that when we go into nature and we go into, you, you've probably got a lot of experience with this. There's a feeling you can't really explain. It's, it's a bodily thing that it's intuitive. It's a feeling, it's an energetic feeling in the body that, uh, to me, yeah, it's magical, and the mind wants to try to um, understand it and break it down, but you can't really. It's like you say, you look at a sunset. I can't really explain that to someone. It's just, it's fucking awesome. It feels great. You, oh, you know, yeah. You, just can, you know, you can't explain it. It's like describing to someone what love feels like or or something like that. It's, you can't really put it into words. It's just... It's well, a, I could try. I could try. Because, um, yeah. you know, I think we spoke about this one time before. One thing uh, in my... In my journey to try and understand myself and I guess to heal myself, I came across uh, Tibetan singing bowls, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've got uh, one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got one too. And yeah. I, I'm fascinated by them, right? Because I'm a musician, you know. Yeah. But it's, I, 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 I found on YouTube, which is 
just an endless bottomless pit. But there were um, uh, YouTube videos of people playing Tibetan singing bowls. Uh, mm. And, you know, I, I plugged one in one time and uh, just listened to it. And I thought, wow, there's a piece. There's a. I'm a musician, so I'm very tuned mm. to sound, very tuned to sound and a vibe from that. And uh, I was like, wow, this is almost casting a spell on me, like mm. chanting, shaman, you know, trance-like yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and then I, I, I kind of obviously be me, I looked into what's going on here, what, what is that? And actually, you know, again, it's energy. So these, these balls um, vibrate at certain frequencies. Yeah. And if you are in the presence of that frequency long enough, I guess that your brain waves, for example, tune into those frequencies and you become mm. just like a wave would with, uh, at the yeah, sea. Yeah. The waves become uh, in tune with each other. Mm. The same thing happens with sound waves. Uh, mm. And so listening to these, um, this is not voodoo, you know, it's just because <laughs> yeah. it's not um, sold by Pfizer doesn't mean it's uh, not legit. And uh, I think in the 1950s, around about then, this has started to become a, a therapeutic thing and using sound to. Um, you know, put get your mind, mental state or your body state back into rather than being fight or flight, be more relaxed. This is scientific mm. stuff, you know. And mm. so they have different sizes of singing bowls for different uh, frequencies, and for th they relate to different brainwave states. And I, mm. I found this fascinating. In yeah. fact, that there was one that I listened to, um, and I think I had such a sense of peace that I, I was basically. I think I spent hours just lying face down <laughs> and I'm like, this Zen is now, it. Yeah. This, is, this is good enough for me. I, I felt a relaxation I'd never felt in a long time. And I then got into going to understand that more. And I got into, you've maybe heard of binaural beats, which is like a yeah, synthetic yeah. version of it yeah. where they, they, you know, different frequencies and uh, the, mm. it all gets, it all gets hijacked. And, you know, there's millions of stuff on YouTube about, you know, earn more money by listening to this and all that. But <laughs> I think uh, it's back to that whole energy connection. So if, if for example, uh, all things, like it's one of the fundamental laws of physics, you know, energy is not created or destroyed, it's transformed into one form mm. or another. Mm. I mean, uh, Tick Dan Han and all these guys, Zen guys would say the same thing, right? So mm. um, when we're hearing sound or when we have light waves or, you know, when we're standing next to the ocean and all that, wind and all that's coming at us mm. it's all the same thing it's movement of energy and i think certain types like for example uh if you're next to a very calm sea and you just mm. sit there and there's not much sound there's a calmness that comes yeah, you across feel you, it. you know yeah yeah, yeah. in a mm. storm it's a different type of feeling right but mm. it's still energy uh so in a way i would suggest that maybe what you experienced in uh, the himalayas um if it, if there's a certain density of energy and certain mm. minerals, the periodic table is exactly this, right? It, mm. Different different atoms have different numbers of electrons, which have different yeah. mass. So yeah. maybe certain things of certain mass, certain frequency, have a certain type of effect on certain parts of you more than others. That's why people yeah, yeah. in crystals and stuff, I guess. But yeah. so maybe where you were in the Himalayas, there was a place where there was such a density of a certain type of energy, and you were in it for long enough. That it just eventually wiped some of the, it just changed your vibe in a way. Um, yeah, that'd be I, one way of looking at it. I totally relate to that, you know, and it's like, uh, I didn't want to leave. 
you know. And I remember the day I left Nepal, I, I cried on the plane. I literally like had a moment where, and it, it came out of nowhere. It was like a weird experience. But when I think about this energy thing, this is where it goes back to emotions because mm. I think emotional states can change your vibration. You know, it can change the way oh, you energetically yeah. are. So when I think about, like you, everyone's felt this, you know, you go into a room and a couple or someone's just had an argument, you can feel it. It's just like a, yeah. the room has a different energetic quality in the same way. When I go to practice yoga in a studio in like where everyone is, there's a vibration in the room that's different, you know, like sometimes when I finish class, I just look and watch people in Shavasana, you know, taking rests because some days, not every day, but some days there's like, you could hear a pin drop and there's like a complete silence in there that is totally different. And yeah. you can see that the people have slipped into a different state and their vibration is different. The same way some people can arrive to a class running late, pissed off. They've just had an argument with someone or whatever. And then they float out the studio in a different <laughs> space, you know, and energetically, I think that, everyone feels that everyone can feel people's different energy you know it's the same the same way going to the Himalayas or, or wherever you everyone has a different energetic quality so I think when you're angry or your vibration is different I think intuitively as humans we pick up on that the same way we pick up on the ocean the same way we pick up on uh, the Himalayas or whatever I think everything has an energetic quality whether it's music yeah. emotions it's just and if it yeah, go on. If you think about if you think about the way that we interact with energy, um, think of up your senses of touch, smell, sight, you know, mm. all those and all the other ones, maybe, you know, like dogs, right? They can they can tell you're scared or angry or threatening, right? And you haven't yeah. said a word, right? Yeah. And that's a lot of pheromones. So if ultimately everything is just energy, like when you say like I'm the same as you, I could go into a room and go. Whoa, there's a bad vibe in here. Or you yeah, can, something, some yeah, of it's yeah. like someone's laughing. You can pick up on the mood. I mm. think your sense of the vibe in the room is maybe a sum total of the smell. You can pick up on smells, uh, sight, whether yeah. Yeah, the sum yeah. total of all of it yeah. gives you that total equals angry place, bad place. But, you know, we've all experienced this. Uh, when I used to do, uh, when I lived in Cambridge, I used to go to a, a Buddhist center place for meditation classes. Um, mm. And, Doing it collectively, there was just a different experience than doing yeah. it on your own. Yeah. Um, uh, and some of that you could, your ego tells you, well, that's just because you had the discipline for an hour to sit and do it. Mm. But actually, no, I, I, the the feeling of it, and that's why, like music, you know, playing music on your own or playing music with other people or listening to an orchestra or something in person, it's like, yeah, holy yeah. crap, you know, this is totally. like. Uh, 80 people all in some kind of joint up thing you know like yeah I, i'm a musician you know and i play music intimately and uh mm. i i think the interaction between the audience and the performer is actually very close and uh mm. you're playing i i'm very tuned in, tuned into this when you're playing you're very in tune with the vibe of the audience yeah. and so you're playing the music to them but in a way they're projecting an emotion back to you and it's a it's a two-way feedback loop in it you know so they're almost participating in the performance as much as you are you know yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel that very strongly yeah and uh, you know i think that like yoga and all these other practices you know when you talked about being numb you know 
And I mm. think being numb is kind of uh, blocking. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of separating, you know, whereas I think what these other practices do, the same way maybe people get the same feeling like you described when you stretch, is this opening up, yeah? It's this sense of right. opening up. And like I said, I think it's like dissolving boundaries. It's dissolving the boundary between yourself and everything else. So you're much more sensitive to what's going on around you. So you're not sort of blocking things or obstructing things. You're mm. you're more aware of the interconnectedness between yourself and everything else. So you're not yeah. separate, you know? And I think when you're See, more like that, you're more compassionate because you realize that <laughs> everything sort of affects everything else. And I think openness is the key here. Um, yet it's, 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 um, it's back to, um, but it can't be that simple, right? <laughs> you know, wow. like yeah. take, take, <laughs> yeah. uh, take, it's interesting. Yeah. Posture is so fascinating for me. So we have, um, I, I've probably spent 11 months now working on having a better posture because didn't even realize, you know, I walk with a sort of, you know, my, my mood and my posture are so related. So the way you sit at a yeah. desk, the way you walk, the way you mm. sit with people, the body language, it's the same thing. It's actually, but it's a, uh, I can't, you know, right under your nose, isn't it? But the way yeah. that you move and the way that you're, you don't move um, has a lot to say about your, your state. And uh, there's a, there's a guy called Jordan Peterson. You may have heard of. He's yeah. he's like the arch. He's like the arch rival of Sam Harris or was or something like that. But uh, there was a book. I found it one of the most darkest books to read, actually, which was the Lessons for Life or whatever he came out with. And it was actually a really dark and really. I found it really disturbing, actually, yeah. uh, which probably said more about me. But there's one part. <laughs> there's one chap. There's one chapter which says, um, "Stand up and put your shoulders back and stand up straight." And, and and I haven't read read about the stuff he claims, but you know, there's something we said about the way your posture and standing a certain way, you actually increase certain types of um, hormones in your body by yeah, standing legit. a certain way, yeah, right? Yeah. It's legit. Mm -hmm. Well, that's emotions and uh, hormones are you know, it's all linked up. So having a certain posture, being more open, it probably just that in itself stimulates a like. A different mood like here's another one right uh which i always laughed at but now i take a bit more seriously is uh it's said that if you want to run faster smile more right and i'm like yeah. well <laughs> whoa i mean i hardly ever smile right i, I never there's hardly a pic there's hardly a picture of me smiling in the whole <laughs> history of me. ever no even just even doing things i like you know and uh you try smiling and all of a sudden the movement of your face muscles it has an impact on your biochemistry and your mood and serotonin. And you're like, wow, that's just yeah, another this, example of the, the connectivity of it all. This is legit. It's funny because a lot of my job is about observing people's bodies, you know, and I kind of observe people on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, one of the first things you do in yoga is you stand in this posture called Tadasana, which is basically feet together standing, you know, and, uh, this is an Astanga teacher who talks about this and some people can stand with a very sort of proud chest you know almost military you know it's kind of stiff you know it's like uh, it could be seen as arrogant almost you know like and you you know you've seen a military parade and that's how people stand you know it's fixed it's hard it's rigid chest out you know it's like confident strong it's sort of projecting strength 
maybe if you had rounded shoulders, head down, you know, it's a different energetic feeling. You you have this sort of sad, weak, inferior, kind of negative associations. And, you know, there's lots of different ways you can play with this, even with like uh, hand positions and stuff. So I think that your body language and how you move in your body does say a lot about potentially how you're feeling or what what you're putting out projecting what your um and, emotional and I, and I think, state is and i think we've we've again that's back to when you go into a room subconsciously you probably read how everybody's posture is and you know whether they're like it's yeah. my dog i got a dog and if it wants to play with dogs it does a certain types of posture if yeah. it the dog is fuck off then it's a different posture you know yeah it, it, that's um it's really big part of it but i think that the more you're in tune with yourself and um, you know what what like what I think that all of these practices are trying to cultivate, which is like intuition and trusting your gut feeling on on how things are rather than your mind interpreting everything with a, some kind of story, I think the more in tune you get with things like that and uh, you sort of more aware of uh, other people's energetic qualities and obviously your own energetic quality and how you're feeling from day to day and yeah that's 100 percent. and that's but i think there's a there's a part of that like there's a there's a potential wrong turn um and I, it's a trap i think i fell into which was um back to what we said a moment ago about um some of these paradoxes so mm. Um, there's a lot talked about um, the mind almost as the baddie. So the yeah. boo, your mind, boo, <laughs> you know, your body, yeah, right? <laughs> and and the it's very, very subtle, but the way some of the stuff is described in books and communicated, it's almost as if, um, like, for, I would put it this way, like uh, there's a book called The Power Now, I'm sure you've read it, or Eckhart Tolle, yeah. you know. Um, I'm not sure about that, but, you know, um, there's some truth in all in, in, in all, all of this, but there's a phrase that he might use in that, which is, you are not your mind, right? Mm. And it's very subtle, and you might go, yeah, I want to agree with that. I'm my body. It's back to what's on my mug again, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, therefore, you start to see your mind as this thing It's not you. Uh, he talks about it as a pain body, you know, and all this kind of thing. Mm. And, and again, we're getting back to goodies and baddies, light and dark. Mm. And for a long time, that was one of the first books I kind of read uh, in this whole journey, I guess, alongside some others. And I started to see my mind as an enemy. I saw mm. what he described as a pain body as an enemy and somehow to, to ignore it, to not listen to it. And I'm like, you know, I'm actually going full circle now and starting to think, well, sure, I'm not my mind and I'm not my body. I'm a sum total of all of it. And mm. somehow this rejection of any of it uh, again, is take is it's limiting you, it's compressing you, it's uh, putting uh, you're a blocking something. On again. Yeah, you are, you are. Yeah. So again, we're back to that whole thing about yin yang, uh, energy, and somehow the paradox of accepting all of it. Whereas in your mind, you seem to feel like there's some kind of joyous place to get to. Uh, yeah. And as much as we try and say yes, I get that intellectually, right? Emotionally, it's still hard for us to do because of the, I think, the culture we've been brought up in. Or maybe it's just not yeah. easy. Or maybe it is. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe, yeah. I think that, you know, there's different things you can listen to, you know. And I think that there's a reason I think people say uh, 
gut feeling. I think there's a reason people say that, you know, there's, if you go back to Eastern philosophy and I don't really want to get into chakras and stuff, but um, they viewed the body much more energetically. Yeah. So they used this idea of nadis, which is these kind of tubes that flow through the body, which Mm. has had this energetic quality. And I guess you could think that at certain points along the spinal cord, there's a, a manifestation of more energy as opposed to other areas, which is why I think we kind of talk about the gut, the heart, yeah, 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 things like this. Yeah. So I think that when I, when we talk about gut feeling, there's a feeling there. There's an energetic sort of feeling in the belly that has some sort of wisdom. Is the word I would use. I don't think it's yeah, necessarily yeah. something that uh, it's not something so much of the mind. That's my interpretation. It's something that you kind of trust. It's at like a deeper level. You don't really quite understand it, but you kind of trust the source of it. It's like a an intuitive feeling. And I think you have the same around the heart. That's another sort mm. of place yep. where you'll find some sort of sensory feedback from that part of your body that, again, you don't really understand the origin, but it's another place of trust and intuition and wisdom, you know? And I think that the mind is not something to be seen as an enemy and it's not something that we should see as a negative. You know, I've been, I'm reading this book at the moment and he lives in the Isle of Skye, this guy actually, he's, he, his name's I know uh, the book. Ian McGillchrist, yeah? And he yes. talks about the brain, yeah. So he's theory... The, mas- the, mas- the master and the emissary. Right, the master and the emissary, right? What's fascinating about that book is that it's kind of like maybe we've got it the wrong way around at the moment, which is that we 100%. see the mind as this kind of uh, top-down, you know, kind of view that the mind has all the answers and everything else is kind of subordinate and kind of uh, secondary to what the mind interprets the world as. Whereas his view is that, you know, this guy worked in uh, some of the most, uh, uh, I guess he's a psychiatrist. He used to work in Maudsley and all these like top-level um, hospitals working with people with like severe brain injuries and whatnot for mm. decades. You know, he has like a, he's a black belt in this in this field, yeah. you know. So have I've you read, read the, the book? book? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I have. Exactly. And yeah, actually, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm honest, I struggled to finish it. It was a really hard chew. Yeah, it's a long book. I mean, the the last one he's got out now is this is the one I'm reading. It's uh, it's called The Matter with Things. It's like it's like four books in one. But <laughs> what what kind of fascinated me about this, and I'm kind of saying this for the people listening, really, is that because um, I know you read the book, but it's how different we can view reality depending on which side of the brain you're using. And his breakdown of that was insane. You know, to try to think that. As a, we kind of want to manipulate the world, we kind of want to try to control the world, and our brain is very adapted at trying to do that. It's trying to control oh, yeah. everything and explain everything. But um, I like the way he viewed it, and I like the way that Eastern philosophy views this as the brain is rather some kind of resource. It's a resource that we use to kind of, at times, you know, understand our environment, but it isn't necessarily the best way to view everything from a holistic view, you know. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, the and to take that one step further, I think again it's back to the definition of the mind. I, mm. As I think I said at the beginning, um, I start to realize that my mind is not necessarily my brain, right? But if we mm. start to look at my brain, my brain isn't one brain, right? It's not even two brains. You know, the the, the left mm. right. 
there are different mm. levels of uh, your brain, your brainstem, all the different parts of it, which are mm. more evolved or come from different, more primal times, all that, you know, other other books have talked about it, like there's a chimp paradox, which has been very yeah. popularized by the British cycling kind of mob. And yeah. there's other there's lots of other books that are kind of talking about the same thing about uh, the thing I love about that McGilchrist, the way he described it was when he talked about what the brain actually does, it's like almost a war, right? Mm. And the amount of enzyme activity, the amount of neural connections, the amount of things that are going on to inhibit the other side, right? Yeah. On a nanosecond basis is incredible. Like the numbers are astonishing. Uh, and how almost the, the what we would call the brain or the ego, the bit that we think we are, um, it's relatively new from what I can gather. And it's actually it's actually gone from being like useful to just being like overrunning the show. And you could almost yeah. say, I will almost speculate whether evolutionary this is actually part of the downfall of humanity. The downfall of our species is we've we've inherited a flaw in the trip in the in the uh, system, and it's actually our minds. And maybe maybe that's our existential risk. And maybe the way out of this would be to uh, get that uh, turned around a bit. You know. Yeah, my my idea on this is that, and a lot of this inquiry came around because of Corona. Yeah. Right. Is that. The way he describes the two hemispheres, and I'll give an example for people listening, is that the left hemisphere is much about manipulation and control. It's, it, the left hemisphere is much more focused on trying to control our environment and um, manipulate it to our own gain. And, and that's related to the right hand. And the right hemisphere is much more seeing things in a bigger picture. So seeing things in uh, how everything affects everything else and a much more kind of understanding of like nuances. And he gave some examples of where they can inhibit either side of the brain. They have like a, a function where they can do mm. that. And he's had different patients with different hemispheric stroke strokes, which affect yeah. either side of the brain. And the one that made it really clear to me was where someone who had a stroke on their right hemisphere, so, they're, so now they're only really operating with the left hemisphere, had this very kind of reduced view on the world. So this person was missing their right arm, yeah? But <laughs> if you asked them if their arm was there, they'd say, yeah, it's completely there, it's, you know, it's fine. And they'd ask them to move it, and they'd say, yeah, they're moving it, and there's nothing going on. And they, had, they were not open at all in any way to the idea that that was not true. They were completely set in stone about their idea and reality, and no one was going to change it. Whereas the opposite hemisphere was much more understanding of like, yeah, my arm's not there and I understand that it's not there, but it's okay. You know, they had this much kind of more broad um, view on reality. And it kind of hit home to me that maybe the way we're living these days and maybe the practices that we have, we're becoming very, very dominant potentially in one side of our brain and the way we think about things, like very kind Definitely. of reductionist view, control, manipulation rather than seeing things in this kind of holistic, more understanding of other people's opinions. Because sometimes when I go online and I sort of read different things, it amazes me that people can have such a polar opposite view of the same thing and in, in a <laughs> yeah. very kind of reduced, controlled way. And, and I think that going back to this balancing thing, 
I think some practices cultivate having balance between potentially both hemispheres, whereas some practices cultivate using one side. You know, and and, and a good example of that potentially could be like a politician. You know, someone uh. who has a very very set rigid idea or something who isn't very open to someone else's viewpoint. You know, and I think that like th- this, I'm breaking this down into kind of a physical thing between the hemispheres, but it made me think that maybe like these breathwork yogic practices, these other kind of spiritual practices help balance the two hemispheres so that we see things in this kind of more nuanced way. And people who are very driven and egotistical, who get a lot of positive feedback from being successful and pushing in one area, they become very dominant on one side of their hemisphere. So, Mm. and that just reinforces itself, you know? So I'm thinking that, again to me it comes back to balance so are you kind of pushing in one way and reinforcing one way of thinking and not looking at something that's very balanced or are you someone that's actually looking at things in a very holistic way and 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 it might depend on the moment you're in though right at Mm. some points in your life and your day it's a good thing to be switched on a certain way but generally you know i would say uh, maybe not. There's a just. It's, this is a great way we've changed this direction of the discussion because yeah. I read another book like that, which was um, Stroke of Insight. Mm. I don't know if you heard of that one, but it no. was by. A, it was a beautiful podcast, uh, not podcast. Um, TED Talk. Um, I haven't got the book here actually, but it's. Uh, I can't remember. It's called Stroke of Insight. Yeah. And ironic, inter- the intriguing part of that. It's just like what you were talking about. This is someone who was a clinician in a stroke environment in um, america yeah. and she had a stroke and she was able to describe her experience she because she had a complete understanding of the sort of science of it mm. uh and the left and the right and all that she was actually able to experience it with some form of um logic and she recovered from it and was able to talk about the experience from the perspective yeah. almost like a third person but yeah. what she had, she had a stroke on the side, which meant that her, she was effectively in this blissful. So that's the left hand, right hand hemisphere. The it was a left, left yeah, hemisphere right hemisphere, stroke. left hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, all of a sudden, she was in this blissful, peaceful, oceanic state, mm. permanently because of the stroke. And I think one of her dilemmas was: Did she want to recover? You know. <laughs> did, did you want rehab because actually this was great why go back you know yeah and but she she came back and uh she she uh she talks about it in her book it's a it's an amazing thing but it, there's just raised the question about what we're talking about polarity yin and yang and all these things mm. tug of war you know it's likely that the, the tug of war in your brain is like largely responsible for a lot of that you know yeah so if you're someone who's dominant in your left hemisphere you generally was, are going to have this kind of um, controlling, kind of manipulative kind of state of thinking where you're not really open to much else and you're not really listening to like intuition or these other kind of things that mm-hmm. come about in the body. You're kind of reducing things into a very controlled way. And maybe like your example of this lady, you're much more dominant in your right hemisphere. You're going to see things in this much more connected kind of uh open mm. um and are being open to other kind of ideas and potential theories around life and not so kind of 
uh, fixated on one thing. But the beautiful thing, and actually this comes back to one of the other books I read when I was going through this whole process, one of the earlier ones, which actually was almost a catalyst, it's a book called The Brain It Changes Itself by mm. a guy called Norman Doidge or something like that, that's how I pronounce mm. it. It's all about neuroplasticity, right? Mm. And it's essentially saying that you're not hardwired, like uh, you're not Darth Vader all your life. You don't have to be, right? And mm. that the, the brain can change. I mean, it changes like on a nanosecond basis, but basically mm. the concept that um, you can change the wiring in your brain like consciously right and so that you know that this is where a lot of damage is done when you're a kid like you're just a trouble you're just a you're a bad boy you're this you're that and you can wear these things as badges right or i'm an accountant you know or i'm a sad person you know you wear these Mm. badges of identity and uh i think that i guess that one of the most positive things i took out of my whole experience when i started to delve into this was actually like on a scientific basis, they've shown that your brain changes and you can change it and neuroplasticity and the evolution of that, mm. uh, it happens. Uh, mm. And I, I guess one of the existential questions I've had more recently is uh, about the concept that maybe this just happens. <laughs> maybe, like we're forcing it, we're so we're trying to force mm. it by doing meditation, by doing all mm. these other things, and openness, and cultivating, mm. you know, and struggling against all of this. And the, the bit that I'm most intrigued with at the moment is, does this just happen anyway? You know, like mm. if 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 I look at my garden, right, I've got flowers, right, and at some point, um, with the right sunlight and with the right moisture and the right soil, the flower will bloom to coin the phrase, right? The mm. lotus will, you know, mm. out of the mud comes a lotus. Blessing. And Right. And and one of my, I think this is back to the paradox of, um, does the experience of growing older, like middle age, whatever you want to call it, like I've heard it, that there's different stages in your life where you have certain periods where you're more open to a lot of this and where you're not like when you're a teenager for example you're completely you know yeah 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 it's it's all (laughs) and 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 when you get older you know i don't think it's a time thing i don't think it's time related i think it's it's all the other factors like a flower the amount of sunlight you could you could put a plant in the wrong room and it won't nothing will happen for years give Mm -hmm. it a better window ledge and all of a sudden it comes alive you know so i i'm i i think the optimism part of me says that it's great that if the body and the mind can change and we can evolve there's the potential for us to make a conscious choice and this is getting into this is getting into weird territory again but we can make a choice through mindfulness for example Hmm. to make different choices on a moment by moment basis again about repression of emotion or welcoming them choosing when to go into something and rather to say not now Hmm. uh and it's the same with a conscious choice in, I hate this word, but manifesting change mm. in your body, you know? Mm. Uh, and that opens up a whole can of worms about, you know, I hate to use these things like the power of positive thinking, but if that in itself creates an energy, that energy isn't not just limited to your body. That's limited to some kind of circumference of your body, for example, yeah. you know? And yeah, that's yeah. something I've dabbled in thinking about, but I've I'm almost scared to go there because I think it, it's almost like there's some ultimate truth in all of that that I haven't yet 
understood and maybe i never will you know but uh to me that sounds logical you know well it does it does you know it sounds logical you know why wouldn't it be like that but uh i well i think the the difference is that we're talking about understanding something intellectually versus feeling it and i think this is the thing again back to my journey over the last bunch of years is intellectually you can read all these books but the difference is if you actually allow yourself to experience it and feel it and and find out for yourself uh, and somehow not be as influenced by all the books. Because you could read a book and it could describe them at all these different levels. Mm. And then you could uh, let that influence your subjective experience by going, oh, that thing I just experienced there, or that's this thing opening in my certain part of my brain. Well, mm. you're only thinking that because you've read the book telling you that's what would happen, right? Uh, it's really hard to cut separate out all the conditioning from the experience again but mm. but i think that's about going into your body yeah so for me yeah everyone Trust. has a everyone has a different uh take on this and uh, you know different different eastern philosophies have a different take on this but my experience is that all of this is about going into the body you know i think that going into having an embodied experience of life tunes you Mm. into all of this stuff and i think that being disembodied does not connect you with that you know being 100 i'd like to ask you a question about this mm. actually because uh this is getting into uh back to that whole thing about energy you know Mm. and i read uh again one of my old books i just went back to that yoga book Mm. talked about prana you know it's another word for energy yeah but it described prana and the body is almost having some wisdom or intelligence, you know, like a let I've heard it put other ways such that everything's consciousness, you know, or, mm. um, depending on the level of complexity. So, you know, I'm, mm. I, I, my experience of consciousness is different than a, a worm or a table leg. Yeah. Or a, you know? a jellyfish. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, um, getting back to the whole thing about wisdom and the body and there's some kind of, letting go and is letting the wisdom of your body or the energy mm. move yeah. and you know not resisting it i think i'm sure there's some kind of ultimate truth in all of that um but i mean mm. what's your experience of that because you've delved into that probably deeper as a yoga instructor right yeah i think that um there's layers to this you know and it's like yeah, how deeply do you want to go into that or how deeply do you want to go into your body you know, is another example. There's lots of different, there's lots of different physical uh, yoga practices or tantric practices that can take you into the body, but it depends how deep you want to go into that. You know, like when I Har- this is the boat in the harbor again, isn't yeah, it? It's a boat in the harbor. A lot. <laughs> when I, when I started Ashtanga yoga, my teacher said to me, "If you don't like change, don't do this because you'll change a lot." And uh, and he, you know, I've I've said that to him quite a few times, because some practices can be a little bit more on the surface, maybe, or scratch at some layers, and that neither of them are better or worse. I think it's just different layers, and some practices take you a lot deeper and deeper into yourself physically, you know. So, but you know that question, the question you asked there is fundamental, right? It's like. How deep do you want to go, right? How deep and this do you want to like, go? Yeah. And this is back yeah. to how far out from the harbor do you want to yeah. sail, right? Totally. And you know, if and I was to answer go- it, 
going away answer, from the harbour is actually kind of, I guess, in a way, is going more in. Right, but if I was to give you my honest answer, like right now, how deep do I want to go? I'd probably say, well, let's go all the way, right? Yeah. But there's an inner fear, which is the harbour again, which is like, if I go all the way, am I going to become incompatible with my life, incompatible with Western society? Am I going to become maybe? And <laughs> so, that, that's an inner. That's something I wrestle with a lot, actually. About if I let go of all this and actually go all the way, um, there's some part. It's maybe my one part of my hemisphere going. But if you do that. How can you work? How can you have a job? How yeah, can you yeah. still be married? You know, how can you still like function in the world you live in with all that? You know, uh, and that's one of the things I wrestled with all the way through this. It's like it was almost a yeah. fear that if I if I let go and go all the way out to sea, uh, I'm fucked in some way. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's there's layers to it, man. You know, like some some people. You know, like this guy, I'm going to mention him again, this Ian Baker was talking about these Tibetan lamas. You know, they go on seven, eight-year retreats into the Himalayas on their own and just go into these spaces. And for them, that really probably is going into the ocean on your own and just, you know, that's another life. But I don't think everyone wants to or necessarily definitely doesn't have to. I think it's just, uh, just layers, you know. But the other aspect to that is that, I've definitely read stories of these lamas and monks who've gone into these uh, places, come back to society, and they're a bit lost, you know, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, how how far do you want to go? I mean, really... But, you know, is that maybe... My take on it is more the kind of tantric philosophy is that you're not trying to renounce life. You're actually trying to incorporate life. You know, you're you're not trying to... You don't need to run away to the Himalayas to to be happy or to find a sense of connectedness. I agree. You know, it's like maybe actually having a relationship and friends and, you know, having a balance with everything is probably all right. <laughs> you, know, you, don't to to you don't have to go out. We're back to that yin and yang balance thing because yeah. I, 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 I remember um, there's another great book I read by Jack Cornfield called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. I don't know. I mentioned this to you before, but yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a book where a guy basically interviews and talks about all these people who are lamas, and mm. it's not uh, it's agnostic of faith. There's all kinds of religions in there too, and there's like Dalai Lama. It's anonymized, yeah. right? But yeah. this the whole book is full of stories about people that have had that kind of so called enlightenment type experience, yeah, yeah. like what you had for a week, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then the reality of what happens afterwards, like you go back to your wife, you get divorced, you screw up your life, you don't talk <laughs> to your kids for 20 years. Like once you once you take yourself out of that environment and all the conditions which provided that experience, yeah. you're back to a plant being in a room without all the sunlight and you wilt again, you know. But, yeah. but, but I mean, as a Westerner, for lack of a better phrase, I don't think I could. I mean, I live near the mountains. I could go and hike up, and uh, there's some a great place where I know there's a cave. I could go hang out there. You could do. I mean, I mean, give me a break. I mean, is that a good idea? You know, I'd probably freeze for starters. But like, mm. I'm I'm always worried about people who go and retreat. I've never tried one, and I. Mm. But part of it is like, you cultivate this experience while you're cut off from all the things which are bugging you. Well. Some people might say otherwise because you're still with other human beings who are not perfect, right? But it's like if you if you uh, 
cut yourself off from society and the world and, and all the other stuff, even the dark, whatever you think you need to escape from, as soon as you go back to that environment, you're back to, you might argue that you've got a different experience, gives you a different way of handling it, but I don't know. I mean, I, you know, yeah. that's just a bit, I, uh, I back to the whole one. thing about how deep do you want to go? I mean, I, I think I, just to say again, you know, I, I would love to just find out how deep the rabbit hole goes, but I'm like, I just don't think I would come back. <laughs> well, maybe that's an inquiry. I think a lot of people have this. I have that feeling too. I mean, I think these people that go on these uh, solo things, I don't think they're having a, a comfortable experience. You know, I don't think the experience is about being comfortable. I think they're, you know, when I read about some of the practices they have, they're pretty like intense bodily practices to try, you know, going back to what you said about prana, they're doing these intense practices of going into the body and taking the body into a different physiological state, which in a way you could say you do when you do a triathlon, you know, you're going into right. a, you're going into a different state. Yeah. But I think that they're doing it with a different awareness and intention. But I think that, you know, using this guy Ian as an example, he, he didn't want to come back. He was happy up in this cave doing his thing, you know, and then, he ran out of food and ended up coming back and getting back into his uh, life. But I think it's just whatever feels right for you, man. But, you know, I think that these guys that are doing in these practices and going into these states, there's a reason they like doing it. They're connected to something a little bit different than maybe what everyone else is doing on a day-to-day basis. But I don't think that necessarily makes you happier. <laughs> I think it's yeah, just a different experience. There's a, there's a trap there again, though, isn't there, which is, a westernized attainment thing like mm. i did a phd or i did that or i've got to grade whatever musically or you know you name it black belt in your sport yeah. there's always one thing to attain and the there's all the potential attainment trap of that thinking that uh you know i could boast to people that i did an eight-week retreat and i did that and i did this mm. and somehow that becomes your armor again yeah. uh i guess because one of the things i i kind of briefly touched on earlier which um maybe it's worth asking your opinion on this as um the whole concept that how much choice do you have in this are you like it's maybe called free will but it's it's maybe not what people think it is you know it's like it's the concept that like given the right resources and the right light like a plant you will bloom one way or another or you won't depending on everything um but given all those factors, you will, given all the right things, you will grow into the flower and you'll bloom no matter what you do. Uh, and maybe some things are inevitable, depending on the conditions. Like, you know, you can repress certain emotions or things you will do with your life. And they, they you know, they, they reappeared later, you know, mm. one way or another. So for me, my experience of it at the moment is almost that there's inevitability some of this. Uh uh, but then I'm not talking about free will in the context of a god, or it's everything. Every moment is preordained, and you know you don't have any say mm. in any of it. Because I think we do have choices. They're maybe not as open as we think they always are, you know. But that that whole concept of how hard should you try, uh, and that comes mm. back to yoga about letting go and just letting things be, you know, do nothing yeah. and nothing will be left undone, you know. To What's me, your take on that? To me, the, the effort and the trying is, is the kind of digging or the kind of like um, going into the self 
and that's like a journey that everyone has different layers of that yeah but i think the whole point of that is so that potentially you make better choices and i mean yep. better by you're making choices that are more in line with your intuitive state you know rather than making choices out of fear or something else so you could say that you know life's conditioning means that maybe you make some choices that aren't necessarily good for you but you right. choose those things because of fear or because of some kind of other emotional kind of constraint but i think that the the breath work the other different practices that you cultivate maybe break those down a bit so you just see things a bit clearer and then maybe you make choices that are more in line with intuition and like this guy i've been following he's dead now but joseph campbell of like following your bliss you know follow the things that truly bring you joy and take you more into like a flow state you know you've experienced this with sports or music. you know when you're in that sort of intuitive flow state and some people relationships some jobs some different things will take you out of that and some other experiences will take you more into that flow state so i think it's about choosing things that take you more into that state than not but at the same time that path won't always be rosy and i don't think that's the point oh, yeah you know, it's just like, it, it doesn't really matter it's just you're on the right path it feels good and the things that don't grow your way are, are okay because generally you feel like you're doing the right thing yeah man totally i think that maybe it's just like go with the vibe go with the flow but you know yeah. imagine um imagine your bliss was shooting people you know should well, you follow that i don't think that's blissful <laughs> i think that's something else <laughs> i think that you know that's uh i think if we if you went into that enough you could probably realize that that's not you know i heard someone said this to me once and i i think it's a good way to look at life is a choice you make do you feel good about it before during and after you know (laughs) and i think that's kind of like a good way to measure some of the choices that you make that's wise that's very wise i'm going to borrow that yeah like you know maybe it might feel good right now but how would it feel later and how does it affect other people yeah i I, my answer to that was i would almost say that deep down i feel like i know you know Mm. but i guess the the deep down knowing thing the conditioning i have is again very judeo-christian light Mm. is good dark is bad and you know like uh for example you know it rains today and you go oh shit it's raining Actually, if you're a farmer, that's a good thing, right? It all depends. Yeah, totally, man. Right? It all depends. Do you know what? It's hard to make a judgment. To, what opened me up to that as he was traveling a lot, and I used to think <laughs> that I'd look at different cultures and think that if I grew up in this country, my idea in life would be completely fucking different. You know, like it would be completely different. My idea yep. of happiness or what I wanted or what I thought was good and bad is very subjective, and it realized that. I need to be a, lo- a lot more open about what is potentially something that's good or is mm. bad. Because if I grew up in the Middle East, I probably would have quite a different idea of what that was. What if you grew up in a society of cannibals? Who knows? Yeah, I'd have a totally different <laughs> outlook. You know? So I felt yeah. like, you know, if I tried to break down the constraints I've had from where I grew up, the kind of parroting in the head, you know south london blah 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 blah. if i remove that what does that open up for me in my life 
you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I went to theatre the other day and I saw Swan Lake. And a mate of mine said to me, who's from London, he said, you're not a London, he said something like, you're not a London boy anymore or something like that, you know? Like he was kind of making fun of me for yeah. going to see a play at a theatre, like, you know, and in a jokey way. And what I thought was, well, I replied to him and said, you shouldn't let where you grew up limit what you do, you know? And one yeah. of the things that I've always uh, tried to challenge myself in life is try to try to open myself up for different social environments and different kind of places of being so that I never wanted to limit myself, you know? I always wanted to feel that anything was available to me, even if I had to question who I was or my sense of uh, who I am, maybe I need to change that a little bit and break that down so I have more options in life, you know? It's a good uh, good, um, good thing to try and do. Uh, but we're tribal. Human beings are very tribal. So, tribal, man, you know, yeah. me and you are talking to each other because, like, we get we could talk for 10 hours here because we're, uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're in the same thing. But imagine yeah. having this conversation with someone who completely had a different view of it, like on the other scale. That'd yeah. be... Uh, hard to do and you don't say like i always thought now and again it's good to read books that you from people that you completely disagree with totally, or that yeah. are you know that really challenge you because they are uh not what you normally would read you know or um mm. things you wouldn't really like you know same with music you know i'm yeah. never going to listen too much country in the western as we said but you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> now but i think that all of this is about just kind of maybe breaking down a little bit who you think you are and what you should be and things like this and kind of making yourself more open to change and anything really, you know, and I think that the older we get, changing becomes harder. I think that when I look at people, when they get well, older, they... well, I, I, I'm the same as you, man. I always aspire to being this wise old guy. <laughs> uh, and actually a lot of the older people I interact with are absolutely opposite. They're yeah. completely narrow-minded, rigid. Yeah. cut off, rigid. Uh, yeah. Really, like I'm like, oh my god, is this what happens when you get older? You just become like yeah. that, and because uh, obviously I aspire to becoming some kind of wise old sage, you know, which is <laughs> you know, it's a continuum. Yeah. But uh, you know, God, you know. <laughs> to be honest, man, I in a way I thought about this the other day is that um, I've never thought of myself as getting old. You know, I've never thought about like getting old or getting older. And I saw this old guy in a coffee shop the other day and, you know, he could barely walk and he sat down and and, and I thought, I don't think I actually want to like, you know, what I thought about society is that a goal in life is to have a long life, right? Everyone says it, you know, like, oh, he had a good innings or, you know, he, he, yeah, had, yeah. Long, he had a long life. And I thought, well, what kind of life did he have, you know? Did he have, uh, maybe it was long, but maybe he was fucking miserable for most of it and just, you know, was yeah. a prick to a lot of people. And I kind of thought, well, I don't I don't think about life like that, actually. I kind of, maybe I'll get old, maybe I won't, maybe I'll, something will happen, I don't know. But I try, I don't really think about getting old. Just, It's not like a goal in a way. It's almost like uh, maybe that will happen, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, there's a there's a book I read uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh mm. called Fear. Fear, it was mm. called, and he talked about um, like a lot of our neuroses are linked to some very very original fears, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
one of the fears is of abandonment, right? Yeah. So like you're not safe. No one's going to look after you. You know, you can mm. understand. You've just been born, right? But the other one is uh, fear of death, you mm. know, and this realization that we're only here for a certain amount of time, although we live our lives quite often as if, you know, uh, well, yeah. actually, paradoxically, I've often lived my life as if I was about to die. You know, tr- let's just yeah. get it all in, you know. <laughs> get um, it all in, yeah. Yeah, but as you get older, you know, you go, well, this is how long I've been living. This is how much people typically live. Uh, so there's no question there's this sort of egg timer thing in the back of your mind and like a subconsciously, I think somewhere amongst all that, there's a fear of that and of an annihilation, you know? Yeah, uh, I think that's I can get all all zen out about energy and go, you know, it's all changed. (laughs) Like, you know, the cloud becomes rain and I become, you know. (laughs) But actually, the ego part of me, part of my one side of my hemisphere is very interested in becoming more in charge, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like for me, I I was afraid of death for a lot of my life. When I was younger, I couldn't even think about it. It used to freak me out. It was like... uh, If I started going into it, I would have to, I'd have to just back out. It's like I can't mm. talk about it, and then I don't have that anymore. You know, I don't really. Something's changed, I think, and I don't really have that fear. I'm much more accepting of of whatever happens. It's almost like the more open to change I become, I guess death is like the ultimate change. It's you know, it's like yeah. You know, I spent just, a lot of time. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking death would actually be great. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it's a release, you know, if yeah. I died, then I wouldn't have all this crap to deal with. I'd be gone, you know, Yeah. Thought, wouldn't that be magic? No bills, you know, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> less effort. Something changes. I guess something yeah. will definitely change. And that's like a, a fact. <laughs> but, I but I still think the, the abandonment thing and being alone, I, I still feel that that's not something I'm free of. I, and maybe this idea of going into a cave and being alone is like uh, is a way at maybe trying to combat that, you know, is a way to try and go into it. It's like, okay, well, if my fear is to be alone, then if I just fuck off somewhere for a year and just see what happens and maybe that will relinquish that fear. I mean, maybe that's why some of these guys go on yeah, to solo, yeah. solo retreats. But that comes it's- back beautifully to our what we were saying at the very beginning, which was about... Um, awareness and knowing when to embrace something or just drop it mm. and what you were just saying there was about that whole thing about and you mentioned at the beginning again jay which was about uh wanting to be alone you mentioned that at the start and yeah. this whole concept of you know is that good or bad you know or yeah. what's driving that mm. and at some point you're making a conscious decision to not do it but like you were saying, you're having dreams, you're having a certain, you know, experiences. Yeah. And so maybe there's a maybe there's an aspect of the flower blooming right now, which in order to develop the next stage, maybe you need to yeah. go in an incubator for a while or the greenhouse yeah. or, you know, um, you may be planted in soil to take the next step, whatever mm. that is for you. But it, it, the I think we're we're also we're also brought up to be quite all or nothing or. And, yeah. and maybe maybe you think that in order to be alone, you need to go into a cave, right? But And maybe that's the, the obvious way to do it, but maybe you can be alone in other ways. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, it's, it's hmm. you know, and maybe you don't have to go to extremes is my, what I'm saying, you know. I often yeah. think that the solution, if you want to stop smoking, just go cold turkey. 
yeah. you want to stop drinking, go, go stay off the booze. Mm. But in a way, what you're doing is you're repressing urges, right? And as soon as you take that control out, the repression comes back. I've seen it so many times with people brought up uh, strict religious parents. As soon yeah. as they're old enough to leave home, they're fucking everything. They're smoking everything. They're you know yeah, yeah. the 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 repression is gone. So maybe the thing to think about is well, like I'm giving you advice, like I'm an expert, but. <laughs> If it were me, I'd be thinking, what's behind that, right? And is am I actually repressing something by wanting to be alone? And is that really the thing to look at? You know, yeah, it's the other side layer, of the alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah Do you rather rather than being alone? Maybe what you crave is to be with lots of people and be nurtured and have. Maybe you want to just have people hug you. Maybe actually, what you want is the opposite of being alone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these are things that, you know, like you were saying before about where, do you go into these things or do you just like let them be? And I think sometimes mm. these things are good to go into. It's like, yeah, where does that need or sense to be alone come from? Or is it just a primal fear that everyone has? And maybe it's a fear you just want to kind of get over well, or conquer, you know? I can only guess, but I mean, if you talk about having dreams and all that about it, then I would say if we were to follow the wisdom of that and what does your instinct tell you, that means that uh, it's an egg needing hatched, I would say, you know. Maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, the fact that we're talking about it like this is another example of it. But there's a, th- there's all through mythologies, there's this whole thing about the dark night of the soul, if you had, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Bible, but Jesus, apparently, whoever he was, went into the wilderness <laughs> and, you know, Buddha did the same. You you remember that book you talked about the Buddha? You talked to me about that. They've before. all done it. Yeah, they've all done it. They've all done it. It's a myth. It's a mythological <laughs> thing. Obi Wan Kenobi had to go. You know, like it, this going into the wilderness and just being there and then coming back yeah. change. It's part of our narrative. Yeah. Uh, and you know maybe you know, but that's back to boat and harbor, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere again, you know. Do you and so. Maybe uh, we're answering the own, answering it in about a million ways here. That maybe the truth is, uh, for you, the right thing to do is to not repress. Or if if something is trying to bloom or grow and blossom in you, you need to address it. But it's maybe the yin mm. and yang solution, which is not about just being alone, but it's looking at the what's your reaction to being with people all the time. You know. Uh, you know, mm. is there another side to it? You know, one of my bosses actually is Swedish, uh, was a fan of saying the other side has another side and there's another side to that too, mm. you know? Um, so, yeah, I think there's layers to all this, man. But I think that my experience of life so far is that I'm probably more happy when I have things more in balance, you know, like I feel mm. like that, generally and usually going to an extreme with something doesn't normally bring about a sense of uh, happiness or bliss you know it's like how often but how often how often have you done it though have i done what gone to one side of the extreme how do you know i think i think it's more like um it's like an energetic feeling you have in your body when you start to veer more towards one way or the other and i think it's like understanding that you're when you are dipping and diving and knowing which way you're going and then kind of feeling that and kind of going okay I need to kind of check that a little bit and get back more in line and it's like a 
I think it's an intuitive feeling around like a, like a compass. It's like a compass. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that could be one of your hemispheres trying to <laughs> fight the other one, right? <laughs> it, so it, it's all relative, right? So if you were to use the metaphor of the onion, I, that's used all the time, I'm peeling the layers off. Maybe each time you go through a layer of the onion, there's this kind of uh, check and your ego yeah. goes, wait a minute, man, wait a minute, you know, don't do that, you know. So each time you go through certain layers of energy, I, I hate to use quantum in this quantum because uh, quantum um, has been uh, quantum physics has been really hijacked a lot in yeah um, meditation and stuff. But there seems to be levels of energy or quanta. You know that's how yeah. you know th this whole thing's modeled. So maybe each time you go through another level of this, uh, there's that whole kind of um, traffic lights come on and go. Wait a minute, stop here. You'll get hurt if you go any further. Yeah. And that's actually some protective ego uh you know that that's the that's some you know if you think about it from a perspective of homeostasis in your body trying to keep you alive maybe even like so for example if you ran too hard your body says slow down or you have a heart attack mm. maybe equally there's some element of homeostasis which deals with emotional uh state and it goes wait a minute you're getting too far one way maybe we should recorrect here um, yeah, and in lots of people yeah and lots of people, when you get too psychotic or too one way, it's an out of balance with the heart, serotonin and cortisol, for example. You know, so mm. again, all these things are linked. Um, yeah, I'd love to same, have an answer for all this. It's the same in the body. You know, it's like when uh, when I think about my yoga practice, uh, my body is changing all the time. And normally, when I'm I'm going deeper into some postures, the body has this sort of restabilizing phase where it's kind of yep. trying to normalize the movement and it kind of tries to, it pulls back a bit it kind of takes you mm -hmm. back a little bit and then it's like it's adjusting you know and it before it becomes like uh ingrained there's this sort of transition period and it takes a bit of time but normally the body from my body it pulls back and tries to kind of hold a little bit because it's sort of a bit unsure of the change and then once it becomes ingrained and it's like normalized everything kind of gets stable again i've worked on this a lot so in sport so i'm trying to swim better run better cycle better walk better mm. climb better all those things right and even i remember we used to go bouldering and stuff there was a kind yeah. of art to moving yeah and the best climbers always looked like they were not exerting one joule of energy. They were just yeah, floating yeah. up this thing. Yeah. Whereas we might be like um, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, ur, ur, up this wall, you know. <laughs> and there's there, there's this um, coming full circle with the yoga thing, actually, because that's where we started almost, wasn't it? Uh, the the book I was just referencing at the beginning about the Stephen Cope's book, I just reread something recently because I, I've got a race next week, actually. Oh, yeah. And I've been training like for uh, 10, 11 months for it, you know. And in mm. order to prepare for it, I've had to change the way I move. So all that mm. stuff we said at the beginning about posture, I decided like in order for me to continue doing this, you know, and to enjoy, I had to change my posture and the way I move entirely. Yeah. And uh, I spent 11 months doing it. Yeah. And the, in this book, the guy talks about in a context of yoga and proprioception. So just like I'm mm. trying to swim better you know, or do yoga better, he talks about it in the sense that slow down. Slow down and do it calmly. And then that's the way to build the proprioception rather mm. than forcing it. So, for example, if I try and swim harder, faster, for example, I might go and thrash the water harder. You'll be the mm. same in your sport. You know, 
you try and move quicker with more force, but you create more resistance to the water. So you actually mm. swim slower by trying harder. Yeah. Uh, and the way to do it is to let go. And in his book, he talks about yoga and saying, look, the way to really get it is to slow it all right down and feel it. And that mm. disengages your whole kind of ego or um, desire to, to force change. It's, just, it's all the same thing again, isn't it? Yeah. It's all, yeah. It's very similar, yeah. I guess it's... Uh... I guess it crosses over onto lots of different things, doesn't it? Yeah, it always does, you know. <laughs> but as you know, we've done the uh, two and a half hours. <laughs> is, is that long enough? We could no, I'm just thinking. Of... The, yeah, we did, we said we'd do a couple of hours, but I I think we're gonna have to uh, stop there. Yeah, I think, like you say, we could probably talk for a, a long, 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 long time. But I'm guessing this is probably going to be not the only one we do with this. <laughs> Well, here's the joke, right? I've got this um, fridge magnet. I got a few, uh, and it's a guy. It's a guy on the fridge magnet, and it says, "I have feelings too. Sometimes I feel hungry." You know. <laughs> <laughs> but now this has been really good, man. Thanks for coming on and uh, all right. sharing your stuff. Yeah. If if anybody uh, gets all the way through this, uh, that'd be a miracle. <laughs> well done if you listen to all of this. But. No, uh, but uh, it, I'd like to do this again sometime and compare our views because mm. in a few, if we did this podcast a week ago, I would have had a different view on it. So yeah. I think um, each week there's a new revelation on this. There's a new different thing. So it'd be really cool to try this again sometime when we have a different lens on it. You know, Definitely. And I think that this is why I enjoy talking to you and other people like you that have an open mind and they're open to change they don't have such fixed ideas and so rigid about life it's like it's always this ongoing evolving sort of changing state you know it's not in stasis like you said earlier it's always this sense of change and I find that when I talk to people like that like you it's always an elevating conversation because it always leads somewhere it's not such a fixed kind of blocked view on something you know what I love about what we did in our discussion here is actually that if you could sum up what we both said in three words, it's probably, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, if how many podcasts <laughs> or books do you read where it's someone who has it all worked out and you're like, yeah. hmm. I think actually the best way you can take all this is to go. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think doubt is extremely useful. And uh, so that whole kind of openness needs you to actually admit I just don't have the answers to all these questions. Yeah, but uh, a lot of people actually, probably struggle questioning themselves, you know. Oh. It's like a difficult thing to go in and question yourself, you know. It's like uh, lots of the times we would just want to reinforce things that make us feel stronger or good about ourselves. But to actually go in and question yourself, actually, I think takes a lot of courage. <laughs> it does. And that's where I'm at at the moment. And uh, I, I fear that we might actually stock for another hour just on that, you know. <laughs> Uh, no but this has been great man I think like you said do it again and uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of a, a, a different uh, view and reflections on probably what we discussed today yeah. and you know I, I, just for me the last thing to say is I think it's amazing that you know we were flatmates probably like 16 17 years ago and our, yeah. we were probably quite different then but the Definitely. seed of all this was in us <laughs> then too and uh, isn't it amazing that like all these years later, you reach out. In fact, you reached out for me for jingle music, and then yeah. we're having this conversation the second time we talked about this. And uh, 
it's just like there's a wonderful synchronicity to that. And uh, yeah. again, I can't explain it. No. But I, I think uh, my feelings and my heart, my inner wisdom says that it's just all of that is just evidence of all the things we've been talking about in a way. And I, yeah. I'd love to be able to put a fine print on that, but I'm not able to yet. No, but that's maybe this is what I think is a lot of things like this in life. I think is best like not explained. You know, it's just yeah. there's a there's an energetic thing to that. I don't really fully understand, but it feels good, and I'm just gonna kind of like run with it a bit. You know, sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, Baz. Jay, beautiful. Yeah, see you, man. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>